We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey everybody, today Rado Talks through episode 72 of the podcast. And... Happy six years! Hooray! I just realized right before I started filming the 72. Wait! That's six! Six years! 72 divided by 12. So... I clearly have nothing special planned for this anniversary. I tend to forget about anniversaries, and uh, it's just going to be a regular episode. We're going to do some games questions, then we're going to do some personal questions, and then I'm going to say, hey, be sure to send more questions to questions at rotto.com, because that's all this podcast is, a series of questions followed by, hopefully, some halfway decent answers. And let's get to that right now, right after this. Okay, everybody, here we go. If you're watching on YouTube, you should see the questions off to the side. If you're listening on a podcast, you'll just have to make do and uh, with my dulcet tones as I relay the first question from David, who's wondering if I've had the opportunity to cover Three Sisters during its Kickstarter, or, or, or if I had the opportunity during the Kickstarter, and if I had the opportunity but didn't cover it, why not? Seem to remember that I like Dice Fleet or Fleet the Dice Game. Your answer is your answer, David, is yes. I do like Fleet the Dice Game quite a bit. And they did contact me about covering Three Sisters for Kickstarter, doing a preview video. And I said, yes, please, I would very much like to cover this. And then, as is sometimes the case, never heard back. Uh, you know, I imagine, you know, publishers only have a limited amount of budget, or maybe they only got so many copies to go around. But yeah, I would have been all over that game if I could have, and I'm very much looking forward to uh, it when it eventually comes out. But nope, it just... Sometimes that happens. You know, nine times out of ten, I say no. Uh, that tenth time I say yes, one out of every five times I say yes, then they turn around and say, eh, maybe not after all. So that's what happened here, sadly. Apparently it was a huge success anyway, so we will be getting to see it eventually. I'm super excited for it. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's my Three Sisters story. Okay, then we move on to Phil, who's listed to my show for the last year, wasn't around when Lowlands came out in 2018, and thinks that Lowland seems like it's right up our alley, but when Phil checked the ratings and Gone list, found it wasn't there. Why did I not play this game when it came out, and would I ever consider playing Lowlands? Good question, Phil. As I understand... You're right, I've never played it. I was certainly interested in when I first heard about it, because uh, Foyerland is interesting. And, and if I recall correctly, this was going to be the first game in a series from Foyerland, where they called the uh, the Uwe series, where it wasn't Uwe Rosenberg-designed games, but he was involved in the development, and they were games that, if you're a fan of Uwe's games, you will like these. And so, yeah, I was all over it, till I read the rules. And... Um, and the problem with the game is, from what I saw, it is to get the full experience of Lowlands, you need to have more than two players. Because so much of it is about communal building up of dikes that will hold back floodwaters. And if you fail to do that, then there's flooding. And um, and then, if I recall correctly, sheep become more valuable because there were fewer of them because of the flooding. And so you get into... I mean, there's all these interesting social dynamics to the game where some players will work together to um, you know build up the dike, and other players will stay away from it because they don't want it. They want the flooding to happen, so they 
won't contribute. And it, it just struck me that as a two-player game, all of that stuff would go away. And it would just become... I don't know. I, and then, you know, and then after I'd already decided that, so I passed on it, I remember I watched a few videos, no pun included video, I think, kind of convinced me I made the right choice. And uh, yeah, so that was the problem. I, I, I suspect it's very solid, but I, I was confident that if I played it, my ultimate feeling would be, yeah, there's some really neat ideas here, but you really want to have three or four or more players to really get the most out of it so we wouldn't keep it. So... I'm sure, as always, at that time of the year, when Essen games come out, it's overloaded, very busy. And I said, you know what, okay, I'm just going to take a pass on that one. Because there was nothing in it, as I recall, to really kind of emulate uh, you know, a third player to confound things, to make it a little bit more exciting and dynamic. So that's why we had passed on Lowlands. And if I'm wrong, let me know. Okay. Although I've never really heard much from anybody that I was wrong. So I think I was probably right. Then we go to Ike, who says, first off, Ike loves how I'm trying to become a more inclusive person podcast channel. Thank you. I, I do try. Uh, Ike thinks it's really important to evolve our hobby away from white boys' toys. And that said, Ike uh, does like to shovel more... Uh, I, I, I likes to shovel more on... He'd, oh, he'd like to shovel more on my social equality plate than racism and sexism. There's more to talk about. So... Ike says, we agree that perception equals reality, and therefore the evil black races in fantasy games and chainmail bikinis are not an art style, but a problem, right? Uh, and anyone who disagrees, well, they started to call, he's, uh, Ike started to call minis dolls and white characters albinos, and boy, was that uh, not okay for the average gamer. Yeah, especially, actually, there was a very powerful e uh, email that came in last month or the month before about albino and somebody who actually named their, their board game publishing arm albino, and we realized how hurtful that could be. He, uh, you know, stepped up and changed it and all that. So anyway, yeah. So anyway. Talking about optics is important, but I think we don't talk enough about the game's mechanisms confirming prejudice and toxic behavior. There's an insurmountable, overwhelming pile of games that have sexist special abilities on character cards, even if the art is okay. How often do we need to see the support character being female and the brute character uh, being the one black guy? How often is an exploration track just a way of showing how effectively your colonial forces had destroyed and deported the indigenous people? A fair amount, I would say. But anyway, here comes the question. Why don't we talk as well about the problematic prejudice-infusing game mechanisms of almost all economic and deduction games? Economic games tend to support and reward gameplay that does not care about your workers in the least. We need to make money and or victory points. The penalties for letting your people starve uh, or overworking them is most of the time a, quote, a good strategy to employ at the right moment to win. Doesn't that reaffirm that I, as a business owner in real life, uh, you know, doesn't it reaffirm that exploiting employee, employers would be a good way to win at life? Or I'm sure you meant employees would be a good way to win at life. All right. Um, okay, yes. I think that's a really good point. And it's something I've never really considered before. It's interesting because, I mean, basically what you're describing there is capitalism. And, um, you know... That's baked into it. And it's I'm an American, and so it's kind of baked into me. It's very, very hard for me to cast an askance view at capitalism, even though I know intellectually it is... Well, like all economic systems, it has problems. It has strengths 
and it has weaknesses. And um, exploiting the worker class in favor of profits for the manager class is certainly a big part. And uh, obviously, our country has taken it to the ultimate extreme. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's not something. I mean, you see, it's it's mostly celebrated in the games I tend to love, your your brasses and your um, you know eighteen xxes and I mean. Yeah. I mean, Agricola, I wouldn't view it that way because you literally are role-playing a family and, you know, just trying to get by. So I wouldn't say that's necessarily an example. But on the flip side, it is a well-known strategy in Stone Age to literally starve your people um, so they can seed. But then on the other hand, starvation was an actual fact of life, um, you know, in the Stone Age. And, you know, in fact, we were lucky to get a good solid meal a couple times a week. So is that just a historical reflection? Um, yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned all this because literally just this week I did a run through for Anno 1800, which at first glance looks like just another Euro uh, about chasing victory points at the expense of of the uh, proletariat, and and it features a fair amount of colonization of the New World and all that. But what's fascinating about this game is it wasn't. I actually contend that Anno 1800 is a very progressive game that really flips the script because you are chasing after victory points in this game, but here. Here's how you get them. You fulfill the needs of the people of your society. In this game, it's actually interesting. In most games, we... Wow, I never really thought about this before. We very rarely play government officials in these games. We are always cast in the role of nobles... Um, you know, and, and upper-class folks who are called upon through some form of the free market to basically, um, you know, try to succeed and therefore become job creators. I, I have to admit, you're really blowing my mind. It's so true, and it's just, and it's just so baked into me because I was raised in a culture that celebrated this. I never thought about it. But it's interesting that your email came right at the time because, getting back to Anno, what this game does is. Okay, I'm a government employee. I am not, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a captain of industry. It is my job as a government representative to fulfill the needs of the people of my land. And um, so it means basically it's doing all the same stuff, you know, getting goods, converting them into objects, and then fulfilling recipes, i.e. the needs of the people to score points. And, but... I was so taken by the story. If you watch my final thoughts, I mean, I was grinning ear to ear. And I don't think... This was something I realized, really, until your email. This was something I wanted to see more of, because I think it more appropriately reflects my personal worldview. Because, oh, I forgot to mention. Um, So you get points. I mean, money is worth nothing at the end of the game. Uh, Accumulating wealth is not what you're trying to do. Uh, It is a game about wealth redistribution. Because if I make the smart decisions and create the industries that generate the stuff, it's all towards the goal of improving the lives of the people who have elected me to do that. And interesting, you can actually get wealth. You know, there's literal gold in the game. But the function of gold is not to buy more stuff. Stuff, um, but rather to literally give to the people. Um, because it's, it is a worker placement game, and eventually all the worker placement spots are filled up. And I could spend an entire turn to let everybody rest, to have a fiesta. I could literally throw a government-sanctioned fiesta to allow everybody to have a better life. And that means they all get to reset, and I can start doing worker placement again. That's nice. But if I do come across actual gold, I can 
give that gold directly to the people so they don't have to wait for the big once-a-year fiesta. I can improve the quality of their life and let them rest right away. And it benefits me because it clears up worker placement spots so I can continue to push my industry uh, so that I can get more stuff, so I can give it to people to make them happy. And I was like, oh my gosh! And then on top of that, the game also features a healthy dollop of trade between players. And that is to say that I can't possibly get all of the... Uh, what do you call it? All of the industries. It's impossible to invest all of them, all the ones I need. But chances are, somebody else around the table will. So, um, you have trade tokens, and their only function in the game is to spend them so that you can activate the industry of another player. And in any other game, this would be some kind of zero-sum thing where, oh, well, I have to give the to and I have to give it to you. And so I have to lose something so you can gain something. You know, zero-sum. You know, the very simple black-and-white view of economics that drives capitalism. Hey, if you're succeeding, I'm failing. There's only so much to go around. And that's, you know, and again, that's kind of core to game design because it really simplifies these economic simulations. But it's not true. Uh, it's not the reality of the real world. Um, uh, you know, uh, working towards communal good raises everyone's boat. And so, in this game, when I use a trade token, I hold on to it, and it can be refreshed later as part of my festival, so I can use them again. Um, and then I get to activate your industry to get whatever I needed to, for my needs. You end up getting gold. And it doesn't come from me. It's not like I have to spend the gold to give to you. It comes from the common supply. Because the act of you and me, even though we're competitors, we're competing nations, Working together is towards all of towards my good and your good. And the gold that you get, the wealth you get, is in turn can be used as a form of universal basic income to give to your players, to, to give to your workers so that they are leading better lives. And I was blown away by this. And then on top of that, it also handles colonialization in a completely different way than any other game, because it's 100% uh, about not subjugating and exploiting the new world, but rather um, creating trade deals. And you know, it obviously it, it's a, it's a work of fantasy because this is not how history really played out. But I, I loved it, and that combined with your email makes me think, yeah, I want to see more of this. I can think of another game. Uh, Fire Robbend uh, came out a couple of years ago, or last year, from uh, Freedom and Freeze. It is a game about workers, but the interesting thing is uh, Fire Robbend, in, in English, it's called Free Time, I believe, and it's about trying to balance the um, work and home life of your workers. And your workers can actually form unions and can actually strike for better working conditions. And success in this game comes from you know, being able to push your economic agenda, but also from making sure your workers uh, you know, live fulfilled lives and actually share in the rewards. And it doesn't all go to the top. And so there are some games out there, but I agree. They are the exception to the rule. And I think you're right. I hope to see it's something maybe changes a little bit. All right, anyway, though. So anyway, you continue. With deduction games... The game mechanisms lead you to narrow down on suspects, investigate the people who are out of the room, out of the norm, who are different. That's problematic, especially if nearly all deduction games fall into the trap of making it a dead giveaway who the culprit is when you don't fi when you find out someone has a mental illness. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, so you're not necessarily talking about werewolf. You're talking about uh, Sherlock Holmes murder mystery type stuff. Doesn't that confirm the fears of most people to interact with someone who battles mental illness because these people are dangerous and sane? That's a good point. I have to admit, I don't have as much of insight on this because... Fundamentally, I don't play these kinds of games, so I, I, I don't know. I, I have not played them enough to see patterns that you, that you have, so I'll take your word for it. But I, I think that's a really interesting. And honestly, until this second, I had not put Anno 
1800 and Fire Aubin together as an alternate way to go. It doesn't just have to be about bottom line, pure, naked, raw capitalism, which I'm looking around, I am surrounded by games that champion that. And it makes me all the gladder that I really celebrated Fire Aubend and Anno 1800 for doing something different and arguably something better. So thank you very much for uh, the, uh, the observations, Ike. I, I think I largely agree. Okay. And thanks for commenting. Keep up the good work. You too. Uh, sorry for any typos in English. Is not, but no, uh, you, you had a couple of weird wordings, but I totally understood you, Ike. You, you did great. All righty. Um, even if English is not your first language. I'm sure you do much better than I did in whatever your, whatever your language is. Okay, but moving on to Ben who says, when filming run-throughs of games using solo rules, is it my first time playing uh, solo, or do I play it solo as well during, but dur during um, the run-through? Okay, I think you mean how often, and, uh, and the answer is mm, fairly often, uh, how often if you're watching me do a run-through of a game and it's a solo game, am I playing it for the first time? Uh, it's, I don't know, Maybe 50% of the time. Maybe as much as that. Um, if a game has a good solo mode, what I will often do if I've got time is, I'll play it solo myself to learn the game well enough so that when Jen comes in, it just goes silky smooth. And then Jen and I will play the game. And then um, if... And I only, I only film games solo if the solo run-through captures the spirit of what the multiplayer game is. So under those circumstances, like Anno 1800, which I just filmed, I will then film it solo. But there, are cert there have been plenty of times when I don't quite have that much time. Um, and uh, so we get to the table, and I'm just playing it with Jen straight away. And under those circumstances, still, sometimes I might play solo before I film. But often, if you see me, it's, it's not at all unreasonable to assume that you're watching me play it solo for the first time when I'm actually filming. And I believe that was your question. Okay. Raphael says that I've had some serious discussions in my talks recently. Yes, I certainly have. Uh, I just did a few minutes ago. And you let us know that you don't want to be some kind of arbiter of game worth or quality. Yes, I think that had to do with why don't I talk about the price of games in my videos, I assume. Has the game reviewing career, job, hobby... Not sure how you classify your online presence. Oh, it's a job. It's a job. It's a career. It's a job, totally. That I've done over the years reduced my enjoyment of the games I love, and if so, have you thought about how much longer you'd like to do these reviews and talks? It has not. It is something I'm very, very cognizant of, very, very nervous about. Although even more so than my own enjoyment, I very much worry about Jen's enjoyment. Uh, if she ever burns out, the show's over because I won't have anyone to play, but I do worry about my own too. And it hasn't happened yet. I've been doing this... I'm, I'm working on my 10th year. Uh, I finished year 9, we're, we're just into ten, year 10, and I still am enjoying games as much as ever. I think it really helps a lot that, you know, much to Jen's chagrin, we very rarely get to go back and experience old games again. It's constantly what's new, what's different, and I'm a novelty junkie. I do love seeing new, exciting, different things. So that really helps keep it fresh. Um... It's interesting, if I'd never started doing this, before I started doing Rotto Runs Through, you know, Jen and I, we played Agricola every Sunday for a year. We just would play the same games over and over and over again. And, um, and I could have gone back to that life, honestly. I didn't want to. I wanted to be able to keep getting new experiences. And Rotto Runs Through allows for that, allows me um, to keep getting new, fresh, exciting stuff. And I, ha I have not tired of it yet. Fingers crossed I won't. If it does get to that point, 
I will take steps because I don't want to lose gaming, board gaming from my life. Or more for a point, I do not want to lose board gaming from my married life. Playing with other people, I could take it or leave it. I do enjoy it, playing at conventions and stuff like that. That's really great. But I'm, you know, I'm not driven to do that. I'm driven to play games with my wife, Jen. She's my best friend. She's the love of my life. And I want to share uh, experiences and, and passions and enthusiasms with her. So, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, you may have noticed, uh, I've got a couple of contributors. I'm constantly trying to find more. I almost had one, but it didn't quite work out. We're working on another one right now that I might roll out in the next couple of months. I would like to get to a point, well, kind of like where Tom Vassell is, where you know he's got so many people contributing to the channel. And now this is where Tom and I would differ. Tom is just doing it so more games can get covered. I can see five years down the line, if I've got a, a group of people who do just as good as, if not better, a job of doing run-throughs that I, than I do, that over time I could slowly start not appearing, you know, giving more and more of those incoming games to them, and fewer and fewer of myself. Maybe just showing up for final thoughts, like uh, Shay and I did the other day for the... Uh, the initiative, yeah, the initiative, and um, you know, and maybe just focusing on the roundups and let other folks do the run-throughs. I could definitely see that being a future I would like to work towards because I don't know. Tom seems to have infinite energy, and I don't, and certainly my wife doesn't either. So I mean, at some point there is going to need to be a shift, and I am taking steps now to support that. So the channel, I mean, someday I'm going to die. And I'd love this channel to continue to live on without me. I mean, we're all in uncharted territory. YouTube's a new thing. It hasn't even been around for it hasn't even been around for two decades. So, I mean, how does it work? What what's Rotto runs through like look like a hundred years from now when I'm gone? Although hopefully not. I'm planning on living forever. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't know. But it gives me a lot of pleasure to know that there's a possibility, and I want to take steps to ensure that something I created could still be providing joy and value to people long after I'm gone. You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't have kids. I'm never going to have kids. Is Rado runs through my kid? I don't know. Is it is my bit at immortality? I, I, of course, I made a lot of really popular, successful video games that I think will always, um, you know, on some level, even hundreds of years from now, be remembered as kind of, you know, influential and important, even if the people who derive joy from them are long gone. But yeah, I mean, if Rado runs through is still on the air covering what, whatever board games look like in 100 years, can you imagine? That that would be amazing to me. So I I, I, I that I I really want to strive towards that, which I don't think was within the purview of your question. Anyway, so uh, if so, have you thought about how much longer you'd like to do these reviews talks? Uh, I don't think about it too long and hard. Or like I said, the main thought is I know I can't do it forever. I know I won't stick to it forever, and so I am trying to take steps to ensure that it outlasts me. How long till you hang up your webcam and go back to just playing games with Jens and your friends? I hate to see you get so stressed. It's not healthy. I'm, I'm, uh, I am living a charmed life. Any stress I've got is so inconsequential, and I know that. So don't don't worry. I'm okay. Uh, be kind to yourself as much as you can, Rado. Myself, I love what you do and what you have to say. I respect your opinion, and I consider it as I do with my favorite reviewers before purchasing a game. Okay, well, hopefully I've answered your question. Oh, how long do I... I don't know. I don't know. Um, if I mean, like I said, it, it won't. I don't think it'll be just a one day. Just flip the switch and hey, everybody, I'm done. It'll be a slow tapering off. I mean, it's been a slow tapering off already. Two years ago, I was running through twice as many games a month as I am now. Uh, you know, these days I'm probably running through, um, you know, twelve to fifteen games a month. 
Two years ago, I was doing 20 or 30 games a month. That was unsustainable. And I still remember what that felt like. So what I'm doing now feels so much better. And it's so great to have Shay as a, you know, as a, as a literal, as, as I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to say it, as a crutch for me to lean on who can take some of the games. Like, I really want to cover this. I, I just can't. Shay, can you do this? And he says, yes. And I want more of that. Um... Not because I'm a social, not because I'm trying to build a team, but for those other reasons I was talking about. And uh, just to make it easier on myself. Alrighty. Follow-up question. When I decide to move on from RRT, have I thought, um, or have I been approached to play through and review games in a different way or format? Like part of a weekly panel show where you and other reviewers, ga uh, game designers, artists, physically in the same studio talking about certain topics and news, or interview shows where you and other well-known uh, reviewers interview. Peace from the Midwest, Raphael. That's a good question. Uh, honestly, if some, if somebody from Geek and Sundry came to me and said, "Hey, we want to pick back, we want to pick up where Will Wheaton left off. We want to bring Tabletop back, and we want you to do it." I would be there in a heartbeat. That would be so amazing to be surrounded by a team who can do all of the stuff I do. So all I have to do is just show up and be the talent. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Um, Geek and Sundry. Or any you know any, any other media or whoever owns Geek and Sundry you know call me baby um, and uh, yeah that I, I I could totally see doing that if you know eventually board games are we're ever so slowly ever so surely breaking through to the wider audience to you know the popular zeitgeist but we're still a long ways off and uh, but we will eventually get there we will get to the point where yeah people just don't it's not at all weird that people in the same way it's not at all weird that grown people play chess nobody thinks twice about that. So, oh, I don't know. Chess? Isn't that for kids? That's going to happen for board games. It's probably going to happen for board uh, on a societal level. In my lifetime, I'd like to think so. Maybe not, but I'd like to think so. And at that point, I can see broadcast TV having tabletop-like shows the way they have broadcast um, championships for poker right now. That'd be amazing. I would totally be all over that. Uh, just to be the host of the show, that would be amazing. That would actually literally be like kind of a dream job. And I should stop talking about it now, but I keep saying it, so hopefully it will manifest itself into the universe, you know, through quantum physics and stuff like that. But yeah, I could certainly see something like that. Uh, interview shows, I don't know that I want to become a Dick Cavett. Of the, I, that's a lot of work. I just like playing the games and just being entertaining and, you know, being the life of the party and, you know, keeping everybody, you know, going. That makes sense to me. But anyway, yeah, uh, good question. Okay, Jack. Hey, Jack. On my Rado or Gone.Rado list, Viticulture's entry says, It's a great game. I only got rid of it because the box takes up shelf space of two boxes. And I'm side on shelf space. That is true. That was definitely true when I got rid of it many, many, many years ago. I actually had, um, was it, Vi the Viticulture plus the original Tuscany, which, I mean, the two things combined, it was ginormous. And I did get rid of it. Um, mostly because it's like, okay, well, every year, I've only got so many shelves. In, I mean, I've, I've got almost twice as much shelf space here as I did in Malta, and that's why I got rid of it. Although it's not the only reason. It's really the main... It's If it weren't for shelf space, I wouldn't have gotten rid of it. But you might follow up. Maybe you will, but I'm just going to say right now. The other reason I got rid of it is because, oh, hey, i got to get rid of some stuff. Hey, I'm getting rid of one game instead of two or three games. That's a plus. But there's another thing, too, which is... <sighs> I don't remember if I mentioned this in my run-through. I mean, this was still early days. I might not... I mean, I would if I did a run-through for Viticulture for the first time now, I would certainly mention that it was kind of problematic just how insanely swingy those... Um, I forget what they were even called now. The day-night cards? The, the special power cards were so all over the place and so ridiculously random. 
And that kind of didn't sit well with me either. And it was really those two things combined. But anyway, to your question. From what Jack can gather, the new Essentials Edition has a much smaller box size than the old one. Uh, I believe it. I mean, the old one was ridiculous. Uh, given that this would now keep the game... Uh, given this, would you now keep the game in your collection, assuming the publisher sent you another copy for review? Or would you get rid of it regardless? If you would uh, still get rid of it, what's the reason? Well, actually, okay, then I kind of... I'd have to find out. I'd have to give it a try again. Because I haven't played it since we got rid of it. I remember having that feeling that is just... You know, and, and I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Jamie's a smart guy. And I know Jamie does revisit designs. Has that ever been addressed? The Because what I recall is that those cards, if you draw them at the right time, could be incredibly powerful. And if you draw them at the wrong time, you literally wasted a turn and you might lose the game. If that's been addressed, and the box size has been addressed, although again, these days I have more room for boxes. So I don't think the box size is much of an issue. I, I mean, I honestly thought the game was brilliant. I thought it was gorgeous, and I really liked the... It, oh, it wasn't day-night. It, was, uh, it was summer-winter. That's what it was. I loved the two sides of the boards, moving the workers from... I thought there were a lot of really cool ideas. Um, and, you know, just the raw mechanisms. But that would be my... I think that's the one thing that would keep me away from it, potentially. I would want to double-check how has that come along. Okay. Then we continue. Jack sent another email. And he says that I once made a video where I went through every game on my gone list that had the entry, only got rid of it because of international move when we moved back from Malta to America. I don't remember that, but I, I believe you. And I gave more reasons as to why certain games made the cut. Well, I now have a bunch more entries with Simmer Boilerplate, quote, out of room, having to call more games I like, frowny face, donating to the Dice Tower West convention. Maybe you'll see it there. Yes, you're right. I did uh, just, it was just last year, uh, late last year, or it was early this year. I finally got rid of, gosh, I, it was like between three and 400 games, some a ridiculously huge amount. And that came about because of my friendship with uh, Tim Minivere, the, the, uh, who does a, has a great YouTube channel, and I've, done, I've appeared on a few times of it, also runs the Dice Tower West convention. And he had asked me, hey, what do you do with all your games? And I'm like, well, I just kind of let them sit and gather dust on the shelves. And his response was, if you ever have games you want to get rid of, you call me. And so I did, and he's able to take everything. And I feel so good about that because, like I said in the in the uh, post that you quoted, it will go to a convention, and it means potentially dozens or hundreds of people can enjoy it rather than it just sitting and gathering shelf on my dust on my shelves, which is what everything that I'm surrounded by is doing right now. The only time they ever get out is when I get an expansion. Oh, okay, an expansion. Yeah, I get to play it again, so I can cover the expansion. So, um, but anyway, your question. Will I make a similar video where I go through each of those entries and give additional reasons? Uh, I like the Gone list specifically because it can give me a red flag. Uh, doesn't shine with too, too heavy. And that makes uh, helps me make decisions purchasing games. My wife and I have similar taste to you and Jen's. So these little red flags on the Gone list, uh, along with uh, my run-throughs, final thoughts, and uh, Jack's own reading of the rules, help ensure that I have the most informed purchasing decisions. That's great. I really, I'm happy to hear that, Jack. Um, I'm, I'm glad you don't just take it on faith that if I like a game, you'll like it. But I'm just... I'm just another bullet point in the research. Good on you, sir. Obviously, it was a time-consuming process the first time, and I'd be extremely grateful if you did it again. Well, you're in luck, Jack, if you've got a couple of bucks, because I did do that. Um, for folks who don't know, I have a Patreon account. I generally try not to make a big deal about it. It's where the majority of the funding of Rotto Runs Through comes from. And then on top of that, I also make some money by doing paid previews for Kickstarter. Uh, and I make a little bit of money off of YouTube ads. That's Those are my three income streams. And uh, so, on Patreon, if you back at the $2 Rambler level, that means every month you get to see a new Ramble video I film. These things are generally anywhere from a half an hour to three hours long. 
and they cover all kinds of topics. And one of the recent rambles I did was exactly what you were talking about, going through all of those didn't quite make it and why. Because of course, the thing is, every one of those games, if I had infinite space and I didn't feel guilty about it, them just gathering dust, I would have kept. So, every single one of them. But still, um, doing that video did force me to say, well, still, I could have gotten rid of A or B. I got rid of B. Why not A? So, that exists. And here's the deal. You don't have to subscribe as an ongoing yearly thing. If you go to you know patreon.com slash rotto and uh, just sign up for the $2 Rambler thing, you have access to all, what is it now, over two years worth of Ramble videos I have done. You will get hundreds of exclusive, never-before-seen videos where I've covered all kinds of stuff, including, recently, um, that particular topic. And the thing is, you can watch them and then just cancel. Just, you know, just, just cancel so you don't pay again the next month, and you will have enjoyed them, and you can move on. And then, you know, if you do it again a year from now, then you could just do it for one month and see the next 12 rambles that I did, and then just cancel it again. So that's an option if you want to see it. I mean, I... I I feel kind of dirty and mercenary even, but it, on the other hand, it's only two bucks. So uh, it is there if you want to check it out. Okay. Oh, and, you know, and the reason it's there, instead of me just releasing publicly, is because people are paying me, and I feel like I need to produce meaningful and useful content. So a lot of the stuff that I used to would have just put on the channel, now I say, well, hey, you support the show, you get these cool things. It, it's not just, just, you know, I mean, like one of them was I did a, if you have $250 and you go um, to an online retailer to start building a, a, a collection from scratch, what games should you get? And I actually made a list of these are actually I made three different lists of three different types of lists of if I had 250 bucks and I was starting a collection from scratch, I do this list, this list, or list, this, and here's why. That was a really cool thing. I've done my only ever negative top 10, where I did my top 10 overrated games. That's only for ramblers. So there's a bunch of stuff there, including what you were asking about. Okay. Jack then uh, finishes up with: if I'm going to make a video, if I'm gonna oh, I don't need to answer this. Well, we'll find out. If you don't think you'll make a video, could you elaborate on why... Oh, because the, from the following, from the previous thing. Why the following left your collection? Okay, well, I have made the video. Um, and, uh, right. So, these ones. Oh, the, specifically, these four games. Uh, why did they leave? Well, you could go check the video. I'm, I'm sure I talked about all of them. And the thing is, for some of them, if you watch that video, I will be honest, probably about half of them, I think I have really interesting takes. And for the other half, it's like, some of them are just kind of touchy-feely. They were certainly good. But I would. There's this other game I would play instead. Forge War. The reason it's not there because I loved Forge War. I thought it was great. It's a three plus hour game. I know there's a faster version of it, um, and in part, I know Isaac kind of developed it because I talked about it in my video, and we did try it, but it just it it took away too much. And I realized if we're gonna sit down and play a three hour, well, one, I don't know if we will ever play a three plus hour game again. It's just, I think it's just, it's, it's unthinkable. And so really, it was the length of Forge War. It had nothing to do with the gameplay. Um, it's the same reason I got rid of the Colonists. Colonists was on the, the, the list of ones I got rid of when we came back to America, because it was also, that was a five-hour game. But wonderful Euro games. Uh, let's see. Netatonka. Oh, did I get rid of that one? Oh, man. The other three you're asking about. Cupcake Empire. Let's see, that was the engine-building game. Oh man, I'm sorry. And honestly, I think for those other three, I don't know that I necessarily had a good answer for any of those. 
Forge War, I could tell you definitively, it was just too long to warrant ongoing play, especially considering the fact I never played anyway. Cupcake Empire, Magnastorm, Neta, Tanka, I thought all of those were great. I especially dug Neta. Of those three you mentioned, I really liked the worker placement in Neta, Tonka. And it was gorgeous. It was such a beautiful game. And it's interesting. Um, they did ultimately... It, it, often, publishers won't do it, but they did send me a final retail version of the game. It was still in shrink wrap. And... I mean, and I, you know, and I thought, well, should I keep this? Well, am I going to play it again? Maybe, but probably not. And it was, I mean, maybe it's because it was literally in shrink wrap. And so I knew that, uh, you know, I mean, that, that made it was like a fresher new game to donate to the... I might, when I say donate, I'm making a couple bucks off of each of these games. So it's a nominal fee for the, all the work and heartache I went through to get them all boxed up and packaged and sent. So I made a little bit off of all these games, uh, but just, you know... I think it was less than $5 a box on average. Um, but anyway, yeah. I think Neta Tonka, just because I had it and I hadn't opened it. It had nothing to do with the game. Uh, Forge War was length. Magnus Storm was that funky game. I do think with Magnus Storm, I would worry a little bit about replayability if I were to give it a red flag. Because it didn't really have a lot of variability to the setup. There was a little bit, I think, with the unique player powers, as I recall. But, I mean, I think a lot of what Magnastorm really would benefit from is more than two players to bring a lot more variety and variability and unpredictability to the, uh, to the board. And in two players, it might, maybe would have got... I may be worried that maybe it would get a little stale. Maybe. I'm not quite sure. I thought about this months ago. That's kind of what I have a dim recollection. And Cupcake Empire, I couldn't tell you. But I will say that the fact I couldn't tell you, basically, I guess that tells you something. I guess it just wasn't very memorable because I genuinely don't remember it. Uh, what I liked or didn't like about it. I think we played it. I didn't actually do a run-through of it, did I? I think I just talked about it in a roundup. Did I? Man, that's driving me nuts. I'm going to go ahead and look. All righty, let's go look over here and do a search for descriptions of... What was it? Cupcake Empire. No, actually, I don't think... Okay, uh, no, not title, description. Description contains Cupcake Empire, because it would have been Cupcake. Alrighty, so apparently I did talk about it in it's uh, in that um, Rotto Rambles number 35 that I talked about it and everything else I got rid of. It's an hour and 10 minute long video. And, um, oh, and I also talked about it in Rotto Rambles 24, uh, apparently when it was one of the new games that got added to the shelf. And it was in the May Roundup 2019. So maybe go check out May 2020 Roundup. Apparently I talked about it there. I genuinely don't remember anything about it, though. So like I said, that does say something. Um, anyway, though, so hopefully that helps a little bit, Jack. Okay, Tim says, Hi, I don't think you've talked about it for a while. What's the latest on Plunderous? <laughs> well, my prototype of Plunderous is right up there right now. And at this point, the game has changed significantly. Um, and in, in fact, actually, I've had to... St I've taken a bit of a step back from it. I was really involved for a while with the development of the co-op game, um, which we were about to roll out, but then the Kickstarter failed to find tractions and whatnot. And so when Andrew took it back, he really doubled down on trying to add more um, value to the game. You know, coming up with, you know, and in some ways, you know, that meant, you know, finding new ways to print, but it also meant changing the rules. Uh, you know, he only had a small, there was simply no reason to have a lot of miniatures. But it costs nothing for him to ramp, once you've done, once you made the miniatures, I mean, it's, it's very cost effective after you've done the initial molds to say, hey, here's 
30 miniatures instead of 13. And so he changed the rules a little bit so that we could make use. And so there's more opportunity for more variety of warfare. In the original game, everybody picked one of the mechs, and that was the mech you had. But now there are enough mechs so that multiple people can have the squid mech if they want. So that's like an example. And so the game has more value to customers because there's a lot more cool little mechanical squids in it because there's enough for everybody to have one. So he did changes to the rules like that to um, you know do this... And in the process of continuing to work on the co-op and um, refining it, one of the things he decided to do was work on uh, you know, a narrative campaign that you could play through. And once he started going down that route, that really opened up a lot of things that he then wanted to bring back into the main game. And so the main game has gone through has gone through a lot of iterations, and we have talked about it a fair bit. Um, you know that the act of being forced to take what had traditionally for him been a competitive game, but make it work in a compelling way for a co-op mode, basically opened his eyes to a lot of really cool mechanisms that worked in the original game even better. So the original game has gotten better and better and better and better and um, bigger. Uh, you know, a better value proposition. Uh, the co-op game has gotten it's it's shifted back and forth from being super elaborate, like the main focus of the game, back to, oh wait, no, it's still, it's an expansion. So he's constantly kind of going back and forth with that. As for where he is right now, I think the other day he thought maybe he'd launch um, uh, you know, later in the year. But, you know, I, I honestly, he's having too much fun playing with it and tweaking it and, you know, doing lots of online plays of it. And uh, so I'm not, I'm not quite sure what the status of it is at this point, but it has, it has definitely gone through a, a very interesting journey. Okay, then we've got Lou, who says... I'm sorry, Lou. Lou has, uh, folks, never played Glory to Rome. It's the most hyped grail game of all time! And when browsing through my rank games, as well as my own games on Board Game Geek, he noticed that I rank uh, Glory to Rome, and that I own it! Wouldn't it be fun to make a live playthrough of that game? I know, it's long out of print, uh, but, uh, says Lou, it'd really be fun to watch Jen and I play it. So... Uh, Lou knows what he's missing out. Now, Lou, you know, I did do a run-through of it. Uh, I filmed it back when we lived in Malta, back when we lived in the castle in Malta. And I think it does a pretty good job of capturing the feel of the game. So you might want to go check that out if you haven't seen it. It's a very old video. It's back when I was still filming with my iPhone, but it's there. All right, so yeah, I get you need to make a living out of playing games and therefore need to play a game, uh, somewhat new hot games all the time. But perhaps you can make this a stretch goal or Patreon goal of some sort. I, I guess a lot of people would love to see this happen purely for entertainment only, uh, for most of us anyway, since it's uh, so hard to find uh, at a fair price point. We'll likely never get to own or play it. Uh, thank you for the great podcast and keep up the good work. Uh, best wishes. Oh, Ludwig, uh, not just Lou. Uh, Lou, here's the reason. Well, first of all, I have done a run through of it. And the reason I wouldn't do it again is, one, because it's already done and there's other things I haven't done yet. I've got a queue of sixty, more than 60 games over there that publishers have sent to me, and I feel like I have to prioritize that. Because in good faith, they have sent me stuff to cover and I have not covered it. So it's, I, I just don't feel good about going back and covering old stuff. But the other reason in this case... I mean, if you'd said, hey, couldn't you go back and do some more coverage of Lords of Waterdeep or something like that? Um, these, uh, you, know, you might have a different... But the other thing that applies to... Uh, Glory to Rome is it's just not fair. You're right. I, I, I would feel that making a video of it now and showing how great and fun it is is just kind of thumbing my nose at people. Ha ha! You can never have this unless you want to pay $300 plus on eBay to get an old moth-eaten version of it. Um, I, I just... I appreciate what you're saying. And like I said, if you haven't seen it, I have put a run-through out there. But 
yeah, I, I, I've got... I've, I've got priorities. I've got to put these other games first. Now, that said, I was talking about my Kickstarter earlier. Not my Kickstarter, my Patreon. The highest level patrons, um, they get to, you know, because they, uh, they, because they're what we call whales in the video game industry. They really love the channel. They've got disposable income and they, they like to feel like they're really making a contribution. And believe me, they make a huge contribution. They, um, the highest level uh, folks who back my channel get to actually pick games that I will cover. Um, and uh, so if any of them ever asked me to do it, I would certainly do it. So if any of them are listening and you want to make Ludwig's Day, I suppose that's a possibility. Although even still at this point, if I were to do it, I would do it as one of my Patreon backer exclusive videos because I just don't feel good about putting it out there in public to just rub everybody's nose in it that this is a game you can't have. So that's kind of why I would, I would kind of give pause to that idea. I'm sorry. But again, check out my run-through. It's there. Okay. Nigel says uh, he wants to talk about gamers versus non-gamers. Do I think it is all important to distinguish between gamers and non-gamers? Uh, there are some who feel that even the term non-gamer is pejorative and that as a hobby we should try to avoid snobbery or gatekeeping. While I agree with this sentiment, I do feel it is useful to make some kind of distinction between fanatical board gamers and uh, people who perhaps only play a game once a year at a family gathering but otherwise show no particular interest. Saying that anyone who plays games, no matter how infrequently, can call themselves a gamer can lead to people in the hobby overestimating the accessibility of games to people that have no idea what, quote, a deck builder or, quote, dice worker placement means. Uh, whenever I see people recommending gateway games to new gamers or people who have never even played a board game, the titles that are typically mentioned are games such as Ticket to Ride, Catan, Carcassonne. However, I wonder whether these recommendations are based on whether an experienced gamer is available to teach the game or whether the rules, and crucially rule books, for such games are straightforward enough for those with no experience to learn the game. Uh, looking at the Wingspan Facebook group, I often see people who haven't played a board game since Snakes and Ladders being completely baffled by the rules for that game, even after watching the rules videos by Rodney Smith. Etc. I feel that embracing the status of non-gamer rather than stigmatizing it could help us uh, help to those who aren't that invested in the hobby have fun uh, with the one game they decide to join in on every once every blue moon. And as a rules reader and teacher and game developer, uh, do you think it's important for publishers, etc., to make the distinction between gamers and non-gamers in terms of how easily a person with no experience at all uh, could approach the game blind with no help from someone who already knows the game? Ooh, this is a long one. I didn't realize this was going to be quite so long. Um, I should have summed it up. Uh, if the term non-gamer seems exclusive, is there a preferred term you have? Best wishes, Nigel. And then Nigel includes some awesome pictures of his pooches, which will show up in the... Uh, when Jen shows up in a little bit. Okay, Nigel, it's an excellent question. It's interesting. I don't remember what game it was that I covered, or if it was a top 10. I don't remember where it was. But um, John Perkis of Actual Law, which if you haven't checked it out, you have to. He's got an amazing YouTube channel. He is genuinely hilarious um, and really insightful with his games. And he has, and his remit, his focus is much more towards gateway style gamering. I mean, he he likes a nice heavy euro every once in a while too, but he's much more about party games and light games that you know he can bring um, noobs to the table. And uh, anyway, so I forget where it was I said, but he called me out in the comments of one of my videos where I had said I had referred to uh, you know that this was a gamer game. 
that this is, you know, that this, whatever it was, and I assume what I was saying is it was a really big, heavy game. You know, it was, it was an Agricola size thing. And I said, this is truly a gamer's game. This is for gamers. And, you know, and I didn't even give it a second thought. And uh, he pointed out that that was a form of gatekeeping. That who, you know, why, why do you only get to be considered a gamer, which is uh, obviously a positive attribute, if you are willing to put in the years of time and study and all of that? Why can't people who enjoy Ticket to Ride be considered gamers? Why should they be excluded from that moniker? And, I mean, it's kind of the opposite tact you're taking. You're saying, well, why should non-gamer be pejorative? He was saying, why can't somebody who enjoys games even casually, why can't they consider themselves a gamer? And now you're both coming from the same point of view is, well, language serves us best if it actually uh, does its job of communicating ideas efficiently. That's what we're here to do when we're talking. Um, and ultimately, I think of these two different sides of this, I kind of err towards John's side. That all things being equal, you know what? If somebody wants to, if somebody derives pleasure or joy from saying, hey, I'm a gamer too. You know, I, I, I play Uno. I mean, you could laugh at them, or you could try to... Let me take you aside and explain a few things about what a gamer really is. But why? Why can't they you know, have the joy and the inclusion of, Oh, you like games? I like games too. I'm a total gamer. We just played um, Shoots and Ladders the other day with my kids. Love games. I don't want to take that away from anybody. So what I resolved to do after John, I think, rightfully called me out about this, about just my casual use of language here, is I shifted the other way. And so what I tried, I try not to say this is a real gamer game. I try to say this is a real game for gamer geeks. And so, um, because, you know, Board Game Geek, of course, is our online mecca. And I don't think, uh, and I, I think that's a good way to go. Hey, in, if you enjoy games, if you like playing games every once in a while, you're a gamer too. I'm a gamer. You're a gamer. We have this in common. This is a golf. Maybe we don't play the same games, but we're all gamers. We all love games. Um, we're human. I mean, games are so crucial to what makes us a, a species that's different. Um, you know, and, and you know, I mean, it's you go back in ancient history. The Olympics were such an early example of people reaching across divides through the power of gaming, and that still happens today. Yes, there's a lot of tribalism about gaming too, but um, we don't. But let's, let's downplay the tribalism. Let's uh, let's open the doors. Let's make it a bigger tent wherever possible. So, um, hey, if you like Uno, you're a gamer, as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't make you a gamer geek, though. Um, and I think that maybe works a little bit better. Yeah, there's kind of an elitism to it, but it's also kind of, you know, the fact that we're calling ourselves geeks is kind of self-mocking, and we're kind of winking a little bit about it. And so that's kind of what I try to do now. Whenever I do make the uh, the, the uh, distinction, I try to say, this is a game for real gamer geeks. You know what I'm talking about. You know, if you're Agricola fans out there, um, yeah, if, you know, only gamer geeks need to apply. That's the way I've gone with it, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm pretty happy with it. Although, to be honest, it generally doesn't come up that often. Um, to your other point, which was kind of a side, but I do think it was a really good one, about when people recommend gateway games, and I will admit I am guilty of this, that a gateway game to truly be a gateway... Well, actually, okay. Does a gateway game need to truly function on its own? Or does a gateway game need to be something that I, as a gamer geek can use as a gateway tool to bring you into the fold. 
Um, because that means it just, it means it just has to be fun to play, but it doesn't necessarily have that incredibly arduous high bar to set. Um, because here's the, I believe if you have an interest in birds, I could sit down and you could have a good time playing wingspan with me. I believe that to be the case. Um, wingspan is a hard one because of course you got closed hands. That's always going to make it tougher to function as a gateway game, but I would just say, hey, let's play open and I'll, I'll show you what I'm doing. I'll walk you through and I'll help you get an idea of what kind of things you can do and what you need to think about. Now, of course, I have a lot of practice with this. This is what I do professionally. But I think Wingspan could be a phenomenal gateway game looked through that lens. Um, somebody who has an interest in the subject matter and has a geek, a gamer geek in their life, who's willing to do the heavy lifting to help them uh, enjoy it. But I don't think that's what most people mean. I think they, I think I, this, the assumption is, oh, it's a gateway game. Yeah, um, you could just go out and buy this at your local friendly game store, take it home, and learn how to play it and play it. And to be honest, that's a much higher bar. And I think that is really what we should consider a gateway game. And I don't use that consideration enough. And I can't, because in all honesty, I read hundreds of rule books every year. I mean, do I want to say thousands? Do I read thousands of rule books every year? No, I'll say it hundreds. High hundreds of rule books every year. And I'm to the point where what other people would consider the worst rule book of all time is totally fine for me. So I can't judge that. It's interesting though. There, I have done two top tens for gateway games. And when I did both of those, I did take the rule book into account because I definitely expected, um, you know, that was a kind of clickbaity title and it was going to potentially lead total strangers who have no games in their life to use it. So I really tried to ensure that the games I put on those lists, the two times I did it, had rules that anybody could pick up and play. But you're right, a lot of gateway games don't. And that is a problem. And I should do better at that. Um, and ultimately, I, I, I don't want to go for non-gamer and try and build that up. I try to build up Gamer Geek as its own thing so that everybody can be a gamer. I think that's the way to go. Okay, good question, though. Hey, Mario. Mario has a bunch of questions. I'm going to get a drink of water first. <clears throat> Excuse me. All righty, so Mario left this email in the draft for so long, no longer sure if it will make it in time for the April Q&A. Oh, yeah, it came in on the 27th, it looks like. But whatever. Worst thing that happened, some of the questions are outdated. Okay, so first up, did you realize this episode 72 marks six years of the podcast? Um, apparently, I missed the five years last year, so let's just celebrate the weird milestone. Um, yeah, I think I talked about that right up front, that I have um, finished. Oh, wait, yeah, I finished my... Uh, yeah, I finished my fifth year. I'm starting my sixth year. I think that's the case. And you're right, I realized it as you heard at the beginning of this podcast. Oh, now, now you're giving me second guessing. Oh, I hate doing math in my head. It makes me, it, I'm literally breaking out of sweat thinking about doing math in front of you in my head. So I'm just going to move on. Last month, uh, Mario was trying to remember where uh, he was when the podcast started. Yep, I'm one of those listening since episode one. I'm amazed you made it this far. And realized the mark was pretty close. How do I feel about it? Honestly, it's of no great... I, I, obviously, how do I feel about it? I completely forgot until I sat down to record. Until I said the number out loud, and I remembered it was divisible by six, which means, if I recall correctly, I'm starting my sixth year of filming. I finished my five years of filming. But I, I don't really go for landmarks or anniversaries or dates. Um, in the month of April, you probably know, it was Jen's and my 30th wedding anniversary. Would you like to know what we did for our 30th wedding anniversary, Mario? We had round table pizza <laughs> at home. 
and watched a show. We had originally planned on actually doing something a bit more romantic, you know, getting dressed up, going to a restaurant. But apparently, if I recall correctly, it fell on a Thursday, and we looked it up, and every restaurant within you know, 20 miles of us was closed on a Thursday, which is, what's that about? I never heard of that. But anyway, so we couldn't do it. And then I remembered that Jen and I met in college because of Round Table Pizza. I think I've told the story before. If I haven't told the story before, that's why folks can uh, send questions to questions at raw.com, and I will tell the story again about Round Table Pizza and how it made Jen and me fall in love. And when I said, you know, there's a Round Table Pizza not too far away, we could get that, and Jen said, yes, that's perfect, let's do that. And so we had Round Table Pizza, it was as good as it's ever been, hadn't had it for years, and we just watched whatever shows we were going to watch that night. Neither Jen nor I are really big on celebrating milestones. I think Jen used to be a little bit more, and maybe I've rubbed off on her. So yes, it's a cool milestone, um, but it's... It, it's... Eh. I, I should get more excited, but I don't. Alrighty, continuing on. Uh, Mario says that I've admitted that I now do solo run-throughs if it doesn't affect the way the game works for multiplayer. Correct. Do I find myself playing more solo gaming lately? Uh, do I rate games thinking on the solo mode? You remember some time ago I mentioned Space Hulk Death Angel was the only game I owned to play solo because Jen doesn't care about it. Did that list uh, get any new game? Yeah, yes, one game. The only reason I own Marvel Champions and keep getting all of the expansions is because I love it so much. And sadly, maybe twice a year I can convince Jen to play a game with me. Um, and that makes me sad. But I love it so much I'm playing it solo. But no, I am still, as a general rule, not seeking out solo plays. I am playing solo. I think I already had a question about that earlier. For the channel... But if it weren't for the channel, I don't think I would become a solo gamer anytime soon. Marvel Champions, but that's because of my deep abiding love of the subject matter. Uh, Space Hulk Death Angel, because... Honestly, because it was just good to have one. Just good to have a good one, and that was the one I had. So right now I've got two solo-only games. Although, again, I can occasionally, if, if uh, the mood is right. It's just, the problem with Marvel Champions is, and I talked about this a little bit in the last roundup, or did I? No, I didn't. I meant to. Marvel Champions... Has, been, has put out so much stuff now that I'm really worried about one of the directions they're going. They're increasing the difficulty through the roof because they've got so many hardcore elite players, and so they're catering to them and making the game unfun for normies like myself, uh, Marvel Champion Gamers, as opposed to Marvel Champion Gamer Geeks, to use the previous uh, uh, phraseology. But the other thing they're doing is they're making the villains progressively more and more and more complex. And Jen has zero patience for that at all. She's totally fine with her hero being complex, but the having a bunch of bookkeeping, I mean, geez Louise, uh, Nebula was said so much crap you were having to keep track of, and oh my gosh, Ronan was insane, both for difficulty and for complexity. And it seems like they're just like, they're again, they're, you know, hey, the game's been around long enough, we gotta keep on bumping it up to the next level, and I'm worried. If you ask me this again next year, I might not own Marvel Champions anymore. Just the other day, I knocked its rating out of my top 10 games of all time. Because my ratings are always based on the game plus all the expansions I've played. And it's getting to the point where it's still rating an 8. I'm still keeping it. But if they don't change course or do something to try to... I mean, I mean, because God, it's. I mean, it's one of the things I mentioned in Marvel Champions when I first covered it. Is I was amazed how much it does while being fairly elegant compared to other games of its ilk. And I don't think it's very elegant anymore. And it's getting less so with every new expansion. And it's breaking my heart. But anyway, so uh, it's, for now, though, anyway, Marvel Champions is my one other solo game. All right. 
uh, about La Granja No Siesta, which was the Roland Wright. Why didn't it make the cut? What was the missing hook that made it fall uh, for the international move? Um, I, you would know if you go and back me and watch the ramble, which I just talked about a little bit earlier in this episode. But all of that aside, um, it was it was a good little game. I think a, a lot of a, a lot of games. If you watch those videos, you, you'd find a well. You know what? If I ever had the opportunity to go back and play this game, I wouldn't. I would play this other game instead. And that was the problem with Laganha No Siesta. There's nothing wrong with it. It was a great little roll and write. There are just a half a dozen other roll and writes I would play before it. I would play um, Railway Inc., which I kept. I would play On Tour, which I kept. I would play Fleet the Dice game, which I kept. Uh, I, there were, you know, if I were going to sit down and play a roll and write, I, I would play Castles of Burgundy, the dice game, which I kept. And so I was just like, okay, I can keep this too. But I know it will never, ever, ever, ever get played because of all these other ones that scratch the same itch and I'd play them first. So it wasn't a fault against it. It's just there were other ones I liked more. Okay, continuing. After watching my top 10 two-player games, uh, Mario started to wonder. He, uh, he says that, um, that I had the caveat about... Oh, when I did the top 10 about only two-player games... Or two-player games, or I should say one to two-player games. Games that had a solo or two-player mode. Uh, we kept out of that list anything that, yeah, you could play it two-player, but you know what? Here's the rules for four-player. If the publisher did that, then it wasn't a two-player game. Anyway, so if I'd taken that caveat out, allowing for more than two-player games to uh, be included in the top ten, uh, do I, how different do I think the top ten would have been? It would have been completely different. The top ten would have been my top ten games, period. Because if you just want to say, what are my favorite games that support two players? Those are my top ten favorite games of all time. And it would be literally exactly the same. And so that's why I had to put that caveat. That, okay, because Castles of Burgundy, and Trajan, and Gloomhaven, and Polyphenes, and uh, Agricola, and Pandemic, and... Pol uh, Oh man, can I do it? And Seven Wonders, I think I recently fell out, or Marvel Champions, just for a little bit. I mean, so the, it, it would have been a meaningless list for me to do because if it could be any player count, and it's just ones I enjoy playing it to, I enjoy playing all my games to two players. So that's why I had to put that caveat in. But anyway, so uh, you point out, um, yeah, so none of these would have made the list because none of them are in my top 10 favorite games of all time. So that's why I had that... Uh, declaration, that caveat. Alrighty, so, and then we'll be back with Mario for some personal stuff later. Hey, Jesper. Jesper says, now that I brought on Shay, do I have any older games lined up for him to play through, like he did with Sive? And if so, what's in the pipeline? Hoping to see Feudum. Feudum, that's a, not a bad idea. I know Shay's contributions uh, make it possible for you to have games in your channel. They're more confrontational. But are you also thinking about the opportunity to have more games that work well with three players and up? Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally, totally, totally. Um, here's the deal. The majority of what Shay is going to cover for the foreseeable future is Kickstarter games. Um, because Shay is not appearing on my channel for free. Shay gets paid. And between you and me, Shay gets paid more than any other contributor on any other channel in the industry. I pay a lot. Uh, from what I understand of my contemporaries, how much they pay their contributors, I pay a lot more. And I think Shay is worth every penny. 
But because of that, um, you know, the, the lion's share of the income he's making, I, I, I cannot afford to have Shea cover a half a dozen games at the rates that I am paying him. So that's one thing. However, what I have started doing is paying him to cover one game a month that isn't a Kickstarter one, but is... And, and, and I might pump it up to two games a month in the coming months. Uh, in fact, I think that is going to happen. Uh, that, you know, so you'll start seeing more non-Kickstarter stuff from him because I just want to see more variety. And you're, you're right. Um, you know, uh, He just did the initiative. Um, although, honestly, I could have done that one, but he was really excited to do that one. So that's why he did that one. But uh, this month, he's doing Eclipse, the second edition version of Eclipse. I covered Eclipse a million years ago, and I had the opportunity to cover the new one. I'm like, ah... I don't know, but I knew people would love to see it, and he was really excited to do it. So, you know, uh, he's covering that. And what else is he going to be covering? It's still, for the most part... Wait, well, he, like I said, he just did Scythe. Um, oh, he's going to do Watergate? Because so many people wanted to see Watergate. And so that's going to appear on my channel now. Um, what else? Oh, man. We do have a list. It's a pretty short list right now. Oh, Too Many Bones. He'll be covering that pretty soon, which I'm very excited about that. That's going to be another great one. And so, like I said, you're going to be seeing more and more of that. Those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, what I really want him to do, I want him... And I've been talking... It's the first one I ever said, Hey, the first one I want you to do of this is Twilight Imperium, because it's his number one game of all time. And that's a game I would never cover in a million years, but it should totally... There should be a run-through. There's no good run-throughs of the style I do for Twilight Imperium. And I think people would like to see that, so they can make a more informed decision about if it's a game for them. And it's his favorite game of all time. It's his most popular video he's ever done on his channel, his How to Play Twilight Imperium video. And he says, yeah, I really want to do it, but he wants it to be special. So... He's trying to work out how he wants to do that and you know, bring other people in, you know, because he's actually friends with a lot of uh, board game content creators down in Los Angeles. So you might see some more guest appearances, or I'm not quite sure what, but that's probably far off in the future. But you know, that'll be one that I definitely want to see happen as well. Okay, and Feudum's an interesting one. That is a good idea. Um, you know, he did Pax Premier last year, paid him for that one. I think that's the first one I paid him for, actually, if I recall correctly. Uh, I have to think about Feudum. I don't know. It's a it's a good idea. It's a good suggestion. Okay. Hello, uh, Gerald. Gerald here. When some people look at the camera, at a camera, they look like they're looking at a camera. But you don't, Rado. You look... Like, oh, I'm, I'm taking on his voice. All right. So, okay. Um, Gerald says that I look... Like I'm talking to another person. Do I have a photo or something to look at above the camera? No. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right now, I'm looking at the camera, if you're watching this on YouTube instead of listening to the podcast. Um, and that is that is a hard thing to learn to do. It's not natural to look at that little black box right there. And you know it gives you nothing back. Um, now, directly to the left of the camera, from my perspective, stage left is the monitor where I can see what I'm filming. Um, you know, I, I've got it on a big screen, or you know, decent. I think this is a 22-inch LG monitor, if I recall correctly. And so, um, rather than look at the camera, I am often looking at that, so I can see what I'm actually filming. Um, and now it has the end result of. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's I, I like to call it the uh, the 60 minutes camera because you know, in a 60 minutes interview, the camera is always slightly off to that, be so that you know the the interviewer and the interviewee are actually talking to each other, and the cameras are offset so they don't appear, and you always get that looking off camera. I think it's great. I don't understand why more people don't do it. 
Uh, it's interesting, though. I would like to do it more, but I do tend. I've trained myself over the years to stare at this black box, this white light, which has the word um underneath it to remind me not to say um as much as I would otherwise. I still say um too much, but man, I used to say, if you go back and watch my early videos, like every sixth word was um. Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. So that's why I always have the reminder right there. Um, don't say um. And it, it still, it happens. I literally almost said um just now. I, <laughs> um, there you go. I did it. Don't need the filler words. Just let it breathe. So I'm looking at a monitor. I'm monitoring what I'm filming. I actually can see myself. I'm looking at myself too. If I'm doing a top 10, like uh, you're about to see a top 10 that I did uh, about pandemic stuff, I'm actually looking at the person I'm talking to on Skype. And I, th I do think, I, I think it has, a, it has a nice look to it that isn't the same as what looks like a Skype call or a Zoom meeting kind of a thing. So yeah, that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at my monitor. Next question. Do I think people that ask me to stop wearing t-shirts uh, keep watching my show in the hopes that one day I will stop wearing a t-shirt? And does Jen, as my wife, get jealous when other people ask me to take off the shirt? I have not heard anything from Jen about the second question, but that was a silly question. The first question is, I'm pretty confident they don't. And I'll tell you why. Since I started wearing Black Lives Matter shirts in May of last year, I took a massive massive dive in terms of monthly subscribers and monthly views. And you and you can see the two of them collate exactly to when I started wearing them. And, uh, you know, they never recovered. These days, I'm getting about 300 new subscribers a month. Two years ago, I was getting 1,000 new subscribers a month. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, you know, maybe it's just, it's in the industry. But I've actually, I mean, you can go to, what's it called? Socialblade.com. And you can actually see subscriber tracking and view tracking of channels if you just type in the name of the channel. And, I mean, I, I compare myself to Dice Tower and Rodney and Man vs. Meeple. And, you know, and everybody goes through ups and downs. But I am on a historic low. And I have been well below the industry average for peaks and valleys. I am living in a valley now. And there is one thing that has changed over the last year, and I'm wearing it right now. And it's a choice I've made. I suspect if I stopped wearing them, my numbers would start creeping back up to where they were two years ago, and um, I'd be on my way to getting 150,000 subscribers. As it is right now, the estimates are I will not hit 250,000 subscribers for over a decade. It took me a decade to get to 100. It's going to take me even longer to go farther because so many potential audience members refuse to watch because I wear a shirt. I don't... It's not a call to action. I'm not telling anybody to do anything. In the run-through, it's only in a tiny little picture. But still, people are... I mean, it's their want. If, if, and I'm still going to do it anyway. I am... It, it hurts my bottom line significantly. Jen and I have talked about it quite a bit, and we both agree it doesn't matter. We're going to continue to wear the shirt because I think it continues to need to be seen. And that message continues to need to be uh, uplifted. So that's the reality. And of course, I wear a lot of other shirts now too. Although it's crazy. I wear all these different shirts. I wear Black Lives Matter. I wear Missing and Murdering Indigenous Women. I wear gun control shirts. I wear um, Free the Uyghur shirts. I wear Green New Deal shirts. I wear, um, oh gosh, uh, suicide prevention shirts and uh, trans rights shirts. And I mean, I've got like almost a dozen different shirts I wear now. None of them have gotten the pushback that Black Lives Matter has gotten. It's amazing to me. Um, Trans Lives Matter, I've only just started. I only, it's my most recent shirt I've just gotten. That's gotten some pushback. Probably the second most. 
But, I mean, I expected gun control would have gotten a lot, but it doesn't. I mean, people just don't say anything. I'm sure I just, oh, they see me wearing a gun control shirt, and they just, oh, right, unsubscribe, and they don't say anything. But man, Black Lives Matter really gets people worked up. And Trans Lives Matter to a certain extent as well. It's fascinating, and it's actually ultimately very, very depressing. Um, you know, I doff my cap to you, Jack. Uh, you know, Jack is a regular uh, listener to the podcast. He's a very, very hardcore Trump supporter, but he keeps coming back. He keeps asking questions. He keeps engaging. And thank you, Jack. And uh, thank you to anybody who is off put by my message. I hope over time it will slowly seep into your brain and change the way you think, but I'm not going to push that agenda. Sorry, just joking around a little bit. But anyway, yeah, uh, I don't think you meant, I think you meant for a silly question, but there was a serious answer for you, uh, Gerald. But Jen Gerald is back. He says, I always say that the worker placement is not one of my favorite mechanisms. It's true, I do always say that. Um, just in, in the middle of random dinner conversation at uh, parties, and no one understands what I'm saying. All right, not even in my top 10 mechanisms will you find worker placement. So, uh, uh, Gerald S., are worker placement games. That also includes one of my favorite mechanisms, or that, that are, are worker placement games that also include one of favorite mechanisms, actually your most loved type of game. Okay, you messed up your English there, but I think you're saying, are you sure worker placement is one of your favorites? Because he continues, my top 15 games of all time include Agricola, Twa, Keyflower, Dungeon Pets, and Energy Empire. That's 33% of the 15 best games of all time. Perhaps uh, the most of one type of game from my top games. Um, so, he said, well, answer that, smarty pants. Here's the deal. Let's look at that a little bit more. I do not consider Twa to be a worker placement game at all. In fact, I am tempted to go on Board Game Geek right now and edit the database to take that off because it's not a worker placement game. Not even remotely. You do not place workers and then recall them later and put them in other spots. You put meeples on spaces to permanently unlock abilities and then they never move. And then also you also have an area control game where meeples get put on spaces but then they get slid out in a kind of little battle for dominance. Neither of those things are worker placement. So, one, of, of the five you're mentioning, we've just lost one. Okay, so let's talk about the other four. Because I think you... I mean, yeah, Agricola, obviously, is a worker placement game. And as I have said many times, Agricola is, at best, a meh so-so worker placement game. There is nothing great about the worker placement there. Agricola is in my top ten games of all time, and it would continue to be, even if it was not a worker placement game. It's because of the cards. It's because they give you, well, the way we play, 21 cards. Is that right? 14 cards? Yeah, 14 and 14. So is it 28 cards? No, I don't remember. But we get a whole bunch of cards of the... Uh, what is it? Do we get 9 and 9? Is it 18 cards? Now I'd have to look it up. But basically, you get dealt a whole bunch of cards, and you um, you narrow it down to the 7 you're going to keep from the... Yeah, I think it's maybe 28. I want to say 21, but that's not right. But you, you have a big pool of cards. You have to narrow it down. And in doing that, you have made a plan for your entire game. Then, you play a worker placement game and see how well the plan comes out. There are a million other games that could be played under those same circumstances, and I would find it just as compelling. It's building that plan right from the get-go based on uh, imperfect combinations you can create and then making that play out over the course of the game. Uh, Agricola is one of the most strategic games on the market. There's almost zero random chance to it. Those are the things that make it special. It's not on my list because it's a worker placement game. If it were a card drafting game or um, you know an action selection game, I mean, it, would, it would still be my top ten. Keyflower is barely a worker placement. It is a worker placement game, but it's a worker placement game fused with auctions. If the auctions weren't there, and it were just a worker placement game, 
It would not be. It, 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 basically, it is a worker placement game where you use your workers as tokens in an auction. And that is so brilliant. It's the auction that puts it in my top 10. If the auction were gone, it would not be in my top 10. It, it'd still be a solid 8 game, but no. Alright, Dungeon Pets is a worker placement game, but it's it is not the worker placement that is special about that game. It's everything that happens before. It is the um, assignment of workers into work groups, then the simultaneous reveal, and then um, you know that's what makes the game special. And uh, you know then the worker placement is kind of fade accompli. It's okay, okay. Once we both revealed, okay, we know how this is going to work out. It's saying blah 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 blah. The worker placement is fine. Who cares? Whatever. And then the other thing that makes it special is the fact that those pets you are raising have a life of their own, and they surprise you, and they confound you, and, and it, it's like you're interacting with a living thing. Those are the things that make it in my top 10 of all time. has nothing to do with the worker placement, which is fine. And then finally, uh, Angie Empire is a brilliant worker placement game. I would say it is the only one, the only of those five games, that actually makes it into my top 20 based on the strength of the actual worker placement. It's the worker placement system that is so good. You know, the fact that a worker, when um, placed, not only activates the zone you're in, but ancillary um, personal zones that you have built up over time. And so you have this kind of entanglement between your own personal tableau and the, co the communal board. That's what makes it special, and that is the worker placement. So of the five games you've said, only one of them rates so highly for me because of the worker placement. And that means four games, I could take or leave the worker placement. Because worker placement, as I always say, is not one of my favorite mechanisms. Ha <laughs> uh, ha! Right, fight me! Okay. And then Gerald says, Century Golem drafting, or Century Golem, or um, Century Spice Road, depending on which version you get, which is a draft, a card drafting game, combined with an endless world, or what was it called? I can't remember the the Spice version of it, which is a worker placement game. Combining the card drafting and the worker placement of those two games, which is the whole point of the Century series, seems very similar to Lords of Waterdeep, i.e. place workers, convert this to that, as well as new cards, buildings steadily appearing. To play, does it feel like a light Lords of Waterdeep, or does it give you a different enough experience? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, and you have me a bit of a disadvantage. Because since I have played those two things together, I have probably played a hundred other games, and I don't remember the exact particulars. So I'm really stretching. If I recall correctly, one thing that would make Wards of Waterdeep still very, very different is... Uh, well, several things. Lords of Waterdeep slowly builds more worker placement spots over the course of the game, Kalis style. Uh, if I recall correctly, uh, the, the combining century games does not do that. You have a fixed worker placement board. Um, let's see, another thing. Uh, Lords of Waterdeep is very recipe-focused. I don't think endless... No, no, no. I'll, I'll, we'll give that to Century. That's the kind of same thing there. But there's the thing that, more than anything else, makes Lords of Waterdeep special. Which, very sadly, only happens if you play with more than two players. It doesn't work in a two-player game. Are the intrigue cards where it says, Hey, I get something really nice, and I pick another human player around the table to get something that's okay. That one system is what makes me rate um, Lords of Waterdeep, I think. Is it in my top 100 games? That's a good question. Let's find out. Let's go to games.rotto.com. All right, and let's do a search for Waterdeep. Waterdeep is my number 95 game of all time. It's an 
it is not the worker placement that puts it in there. Uh, it is not the fantasy, the high fantasy Game of Thrones Tolkien setting, which is very nice and very appreciated. It's those intrigue cards, and specifically the intrigue card. It's the amount of time I played a lot of Lords of Waterdeep because it's a great gateway game, uh, depending on how you define gateway games, as per the earlier question, with my co-workers in the video game industry, and I believe it did a pretty good job of converting some of them. And uh, and so I got to play it at higher player counts, more than a lot of other games, and I so love those intrigue cards where, oh, I'll give myself three clerics and somebody, who's it gonna be, gets one. Oh man, I love that. That is so great. Just that one simple thing, I want to see that in every game. Although sadly, it's something that won't ever really work particularly well in a two-player game. Um, so, but anyway, yeah. So, just that in and of itself. And the intrigue cards in general, I think, make Lords of Waterdeep stand on its own, uh, away from the other one. I would have to go look, because... Oh, what happens... There were some very, very cool things that happened, depending on how you combined the different Century games, though. And I think... If I recall correctly, this particular connection turned the card drafting into multi-use cards, which they aren't normally. And I remember that being really amazing, if I'm remembering correctly. And if I'm remembering that correctly, I, I think um, this way of drafting plus worker placement was maybe my favorite way of the different combinations you could play. And I think it was because of the multi-use cards. And of course, Lords of Waterdeep doesn't have anything like that. And again, I'm having to go for a really flimsy memory here, but I think, with that in mind, they stand on their own. Uh, good question, though. Okay, and then finally, last one. Chris, Chris, Chris says, hello. Alrighty. Oh, right, right. And I, I already had a uh, sport-related question that'll happen in the personal Q&A section, but his gaming-related question was buried in here somewhere, as I recall. Um, right. Find place in something I can... However, I recently found myself increasing... Okay. Oh, shoot! No, this is a personal question. Oh, drat. Right, so he had the sports question, which ironically really should have been in the games because it was ultimately about sports and gaming. So I should have answered that one here, and I should have answered the music one in the personal question, um, my predilection for music analysis channels on YouTube. And you know what, um, Chris? I do have something to say about that, but I'm sorry, man. You're going to have to wait till next week. Yours will be the first question, or not next week, next month, in the next episode of the podcast, because I'll save this and I'll talk about it then. Um, because obviously this is not a game-related question. I got the two things mixed up. Apologies for that. And phew. Okay, folks. That was it for... Um, oh, what do you call it? Uh, the uh, The... Not all. We're not done with the games. Jen's going to be here. We've got a couple more questions that Jen will be able to weigh in on related games, and then we'll get to the personal stuff. So hold on. We'll be right back, and I will not be alone. Okay, everybody. Welcome back. It's now time for a few more game-related questions that Jen might pipe in, which means it's Jen! Uh, if you're actually watching this on YouTube instead of listening as a podcast, you can see a disembodied right arm just barely coming into frame because, as always, Jen would prefer to be off camera. And so that's all you get. And uh, just to prove for the people who are listening, hi, honey pie. Hey, that was perfectly timed. Hi. I just had a big sip of my tea. Yes. What, what, what tea do we have today Ooh, okay. in this lovely green mug that you're very fond of? I just bought that, actually. Mm -hmm. And... I realized it's, I bought it, it's from the same artist that I bought 
um, from like five or six years ago, or maybe even eight years ago when I came to Portland for a glass convention. Yeah. And I bought some stuff at the Portland Art Gallery or Museum or something. Yeah. Anyway, I I haven't had this mug for a long time because it broke. Oh. Um, but I bought it and then I was caressing it one evening while we were watching a show and I could totally tell. Tell. I was like, I was having this this sense memory, memory yes. sense memory i believe is the term yep i mean even the way the ceramics sounds when you touch it is familiar so, so i'm sorry what flavor was this it's called peppermint peak by celestial seasonings mm, that's nice it's very nice um but we're not into the personal stuff yet that was a lot oh. of personal stuff and we're still supposed to be on game so oh. we can come back to that we, we can revisit the mug in a moment because okay, i'm sure you're not tea, done the tea is very important because you don't need sugar for this one oh well okay it's nice Peppermint Patty no, doesn't peppermint need... Peppermint Peak. Peppermint Peak from Celestial Seasonings does not need sugar. And it's pretty good. And no cream or anything. It's just great as is. Okay, but anyway, we're now going to continue with the gaming questions. Uh, and you remember last month there was the guy named Top who wrote us and said, yeah, I don't actually listen to the answers to these questions for like mm. a year. Mm -hmm. So you're a time traveler and stuff. Yep. And he had a really long question about uh, playing Dominion with his kids and all of that. And you know, yeah. should be playing. Yeah, yeah. Here's the deal. We got through his very, very long email, um, getting into his questions, and only got about halfway through them. <laughs> and what did we go? Off yeah, we got about engine? how would you play Dominion these days, and how do you feel about selecting Dominion sets? And we talked about that, and then I just completely skipped the second half of the thing. So we're going to continue. Top has had to wait even longer for these answers, but Top continued. He mentions playing to win, and while he does everything within the rules uh, to win, he genuinely dislikes gaming other people, which is why he hates trader mechanisms in social deduction games. Also, doesn't want to win because his opponents fail to notice something or make a silly mistake. Mm. And then he gives some examples of playing Dominion with his kids, you know, helping them by showing, look, here's how many province cards there are still. Uh, you know, you might want to pay attention to that, you know, instead of just keeping that secret and safe uh, only to himself. So he's awesome like you are. Uh, you're awesome too, honey pie. Anyway, he always allows people to take back their moves, even if technically, technically that could be a cheat. Uh, he doesn't play with people who care enough to cheat, is the way he looks at it. And sometimes, when someone is trying to figure out their optimal move, if everyone else has finished their calculations, uh, everyone will help uh, with, the, with the person who's still trying to work it out based on public information. Or sometimes, if somebody does something suboptimal, they'll suggest an alternative. Alrighty. So, the question is, how do we feel about these practices? Obviously, you wouldn't want to do uh, any of this if playing with somebody who doesn't like it. But in Top's game group, while we uh, each try our hardest to win, we also enjoy the shared experience and the analysis. What do you think of that, Honey Pie? I think that sounds awesome. I would like to game with you, Top. <laughs> I think, yes, we would very much enjoy your group because you just described everything we do. We do all of that stuff. Yep. Um, it, it, it is, I think it's natural for me. It has been a learning process for Jen. Yes, I have been known to cackle evilly to myself <laughs> when he doesn't notice a really obvious thing. But I don't think that happens much anymore, right? Would you say? No, I think I'm much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if she spots something and she sees, well, boy, he just clearly doesn't realize he's about to step in it. She will point out, uh, you're about to step in it. <laughs> and then I will promptly go and step in something else more than likely. <laughs> uh, and she can only help me so much. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely a big part of uh, the game is, I mean, it's kind of hard for me to turn it off because I'm always articulating my moves anyway for filming that I end up tending to do it in real life as well. And, um, you know, and if Jen's just sitting there thinking quietly, I can't help myself. But, well, you know, if you do this, yes, I know. I thought about that five minutes ago. Where have you been? <laughs> uh, yeah. 
<laughs> you can tell how the game's going if uh, how how open she is to my very surface level analysis <laughs> while she's still you know like ten layers deep. <laughs> Have, have you thought about getting another worker? Yes, I've thought about it. But no, yeah, we, we, we totally play that way. And it sounds like uh, we'd be very simpatico with you and your group. All right, Top continues that he mentions disliking gaming other people, but it's patently untrue. Top has just admitted he's a liar. He does enjoy the aspect in multiplayer games where you're trying to convince other players not to attack you because your opponents are doing so much better, while in secret you're doing better than appears. How about you? I will... That is totally you all over the place. What do you mean? You are such the king of misdirection. <laughs> I was going to say... I... Meaning throwing me under the bus. He is the king of throwing me under the bus. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I think the truth has come out. Thank you, Top, it, it, for it, asking a good question. It is true that when on the rare opportunities when Jen and I are playing a competitive game with other folks... I do have a tendency to point out to the table. You can, everybody see how well Jen is doing. Oh, and then before we even start the game, he just sits everybody down and he says, you know what, let me just say that right up front, Jen's going to win. Yeah, just so you know, let's just set the record straight so no one has any false expectations about how this is going to play out. Now, honey. Yes. Do I tend to be proven wrong in these assertions? Always. Really? I don't 100%. think that's the case. I don't think that's the case. I think you do tend to. But it's true. I do tend to paint a target on Jen's back. <laughs> In part because I do just want people to understand they are sitting down playing with a shark. I'm not a shark. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, that you know, sharks are an important part of the ecosystem. <laughs> and the baby sharks like the sharks. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, Jen's very, very good. And I mean, honestly, even if Jen wasn't, I might do it anyway. Because back a million years ago when I first started getting into board gaming, I was still working full time at Splash Damage. And we would play a lot of Small World at lunch. That was my superpower, convincing everybody that I was no threat whatsoever. Um, because, of course, scores are secret. And look, I'm going to go on the board. Clearly, I'm of no great concern um, trying to allow them to forget that three rounds ago, I had a really big round kind of thing. And pointing out always just what's on the surface. And, and I was able to get away with it on the regular. It is, uh, I mean, I may not be good with the strategy, but I am good with the psychological warfare. The mind gamery. The mind gamery. Um, I don't know why that is, but I do, I just go there instinctually. Um, which uh, is something you should bear in mind if you ever do sit down and play a game with me. I will tend to do that. Uh, don't <laughs> trust me any farther than you can throw me. Um, righty. And continuing, Top says, I know you prefer to play two-player, but if you were to play a game with several players, do you enjoy social deduction games with traders? Honey, how do you feel? Do you even know what that means? I don't know if you've ever even played one. Oh, well, um, that game that we played with... Uh, <clears throat> oh, I can't remember the name, but it was, a, it was a Potter game, and we had to figure out who the trader was. And we were in a I don't group. think you played, did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was it was basically you were the it was basically a variant of Secret Hitler called Secret Voldemort. There we go. Because I don't think we'd want to play Secret Hitler, but um, you know Harry Potter style. And uh, yes, I was. It turns out I and uh, Karthik, we were the two traitors of the group. And the first thing I did when it came around to me and people started pointing the finger at me or asking questions I had to answer, I immediately threw Karthik my uh, co-conspirator under the bus so that I could get the total and complete trust of the entire table. And I'm sorry, Karthik, if you're listening to this, I pretty much ruined the entire... Because it was like first round. I just completely uh, uh, destroyed him. I, I forget the particulars of how the mechanisms worked. Um, and it worked. Everybody believed me. And I almost pulled off a win. I, I was so close. But I, I forget. There were maybe a couple people who were a little suspicious of me. 
But for the most part, I had the table. I just couldn't quite get them um, to, to vote in the direction I needed them to vote. So what was your thought about that experience, Honey Pie? I don't recall you liking it at all. No, I didn't care for it. Mm -hmm. I don't particularly like being faced with the fact that maybe I'm not as good a personality um, figure outer as I, I oh. would like to. Okay. And I don't like feeling... Well, A, I don't like Tricked. feeling stupid. Yeah. And also, I don't like feeling that my trust has been misplaced. Okay. So, it's not a very happy game style <clears throat> for me. All right. Well, that was the question. Um... And I, I've very rarely gotten to play them. I mean, I, we did that one when we were at Essen. I did one, I played uh, Deception and Murder in Hong Kong when I appeared on the game marathon for Dice Tower many, many years ago. And, uh, and that didn't go very well, but that's because I got a really bad draw. I was the, the murderer, but it was the way the cards came out, it was so immediately obvious right from the get-go that everybody knew it, and there was nothing... Everybody agreed. There's nothing I could have done to uh, try to, th uh, you know, throw them off the track because it was just so incredibly... There's only one thing that these cards can mean. So I haven't really gotten to play them much. And I don't I don't think I'm necessarily seeking it out. I, but, I mean, I'm, I, I think I'm pretty good at it. But it, it's, it's, it's not like it's um, I'm, I'm just dying, jonesing to get more. I would much rather just sit and tend my little cardboard garden wherever possible. That would be my preference. And the same for you, obviously. Yeah, but what, what like, code names? Is that kind of like playing <clears throat> a trader game? No. I, I, that's, uh, you know, that, 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 there is deduction there, but no, there's no traders in code names. Well, what about, um, like, those Sherlock Holmes games and stuff where I'm always running around and you're trying to catch me? Uh, well, no, that's, I mean, that it's known that you are <laughs> Mr. X or okay. Dracula okay. or whoever, and it is your job to hide from us. This is a case where it's literally social deduction because one or more of us is not who they say they are, and right. we have to figure it out. Yep. Okay. And, uh, you know, and so, yeah, neither of us have ever played Werewolf or any of those types, so I, I, I imagine I'd do okay, but I, I, I'm not actively seeking it out. Top continues to wonder, uh, suppose that I'm not doing Rado anymore and just playing board games for fun. Honey pie. Mm. Do you think that we would deconstruct or analyze game experiences after we're done playing? Would we discuss the games at all, uh, if only to reminisce? Hey, do you remember when? Well, so if if it were not an actual job, and it's now a job for Jen more than ever, because we just started a new Patreon backer-only show called Jen Jogs, where she actually um, ranks all the games we play over the preceding month. So she's having to really get analytical more so than ever before. Um, how do you feel about that, Honey Pie? You've done one episode so far. Yeah. Um, well, it was a little hard because it was the first one and we mm -hmm. were kind of figuring out the rating systems and stuff. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't too bad because actually we do go through that kind of anal anal analysis yeah. um, fairly frequently. <clears throat> so, um, no, I think I wouldn't... There's no way in hell... <laughs> in in, in goodness sakes yes. that I would do that if you weren't there to help me and prompt me and all. All right. Well, no, that's the show. Would you... Do you believe... Uh, if you were at a convention playing with people and there was no obligation, I wasn't anywhere to be seen, there was no obligation to mm. evaluate the game or, you know, kind of break it down and what's it like and, you know, how did this mechanism work? Are you, do you have any interest in that at all? Or, <laughs> no, I'm just here to play the game and then move on. I think, actually, I do already do it because I can remember, oh. like, playing some games with Leva when we'd go out and have a break. Go on. Uh, and one of them in particular is this marble game. Do you remember the marble game that where they were all rolling down? Potion Explosion, I believe, is the name of the okay. game. Okay, yep. 
And he wasn't even there. I was not, yes. Um, and yeah, we talked about that. We deconstructed it and figured it out, you know. So no, I think I think it's just part of the gaming experience, actually. Okay. Just figuring out now, you what didn't it was that you liked or didn't like about a game. You didn't do that just because it was Leva and Leva was trying to decide if she would buy the game. Is that why you did it? Would you have done it if you were at, you know, at her house? Hmm. Um, well, I don't know. I think there's a bit of social stigmatism about tearing down somebody's <laughs> game collection. <laughs> So I might not do it at somebody's house, mm -hmm. but I would probably do it in the car with you on the way home. So I mean, okay, but so the I'm trying to look for a break in this, but you're saying there's a recurring pattern yeah. that at this point you actively want to discuss gameplay mechanisms yep. as a result of playing the game. Yep, I guess so. I'm really surprised by that. That was not what I was expecting you were going to say. Oh, good. Well, 30 years of blissful marriage, and I can still surprise you. Yes. Would you say? I mean, this hasn't always been the case. I don't believe this was the case when we first started getting into games. You had no interest in analyzing mm. Pandemic or Agricola or Dominion or all the games we started out with. You would just say, oh, I liked it or I didn't like it, and that was it. Yeah, I guess it's, again, your influence on me, trying to help me drill down on mm -hmm. things. Well, the, the question is, if Rado was not right. forcing you into that situation, do you think you would drop off from that and just go back to... I mean, we watch TV shows and we never analyze or deconstruct those. Watch a lot of TV shows. We so. play a lot of games. Um, I don't know. All right, don't know, but for now she's gonna stick with it. Okay, top continues. Having recently received the Fresco Mega Box. Oh, have we? Uh, we we don't have the Mega Box. We have all the individual. We do have a new expansion for it, which need to be playing pretty soon. But anyway, uh, he points out one rule in one of the expansions was rewritten in the uh, Mega Box edition. It's extremely unclear what to do. Stay with the original rule or go with the new rule? What would you do? The designers don't appear to frequent Board Game Geek, and I doubt this can be resolved authoritatively, says Top. Though, one can imagine uh, passionate players would argue both sides. There's a number of, number of wrinkles. Why would the rules be rewritten if the designers hadn't specifically intended a rule change? Is it a translation error? New version of the rules is poorly written, contradictory, and oddly redundant. And finally, Top doesn't speak German, but it appears the German version of the rules have not changed. Uh, and Google Translate suggests that it matches the original. I think you've nailed it there, then. This is clearly a uh, mistranslation. All right. Oh, and then you've actually gone on ahead and given us the rule. Alrighty. So, it's from the portraits. All right, portraits. If you remember Fresco, Honey Pie, portraits are in the bottom right corner. They're one of the things you can do to make money. Mm. By default, you can just make money. But the, if you turn portraits on, then they are special. And you can say, oh, I'm going to do a portrait of this particular person because they have effects, rather than just getting flat cash. Okay. And I think if, if all of them are gone by the time you paint, then you just get the flat cash. So, an active player may take one of the two... Yeah, that's right. There's two of them. One of the two portrait cards on the open display for one of their apprentices at the studio. For each of the <laughs> other apprentices at the studio, they're paid $3. If both portraits have been painted... Uh, the player can only play, can only be paid three dollars. This is mostly straightforward, though. I wish there was right, cheeser or in the Mega Box version. For each apprentice, the player may take one of the portraits uh, and apply in addition to being paid. No, that's wrong. Oh my gosh, that is terribly wrong. I can't believe that. So apparently they change. Oh, not only do you get the portrait, but you get the money in, as well. That sounds broken to me. And like I said, if it hasn't changed in the German, I would say stick with the original rules. That doesn't sound right at all. And as you said, apparently there are other translation errors or poor wordings and whatnot. All right. So as you wrote in the Kickstarter comments, uh, the first sentence appears to intentionally change the rules. The second sentence then contradicts the first. What also appears to... All right. So it's got to be a bad translation. All right. So 
I don't think you have anything to say about that. Nope. So that one just kind of snuck in because you did have stuff to say about the other one. So that's it from Top. Top will be back with some non-game related questions in the next section. But now we are going to move on to Scott, who says, Bad components that affect gameplay are a problem. But, honey, yes. do we care about nicer components? Do we even play a game enough to enjoy better components? Mm. Asks Scott. Do we not have really nice components that I make and we play with anyway? So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> There's that, yes. We often play with homemade components that are better than anything the publisher can generate. <laughs> so that's something to consider. Um, right. Do I care about... Yes, I do. I do care about components. Right. The real question is, does it make you enjoy the game more? All other things being equal, nothing else changes. If you've got really nice, beautiful art, you will implicitly enjoy the game more. I will. Right. Um, and I think I will too. And I know I shouldn't. I should be above all that. But it's just human nature to like beautiful things. So, I mean, anything is improved if it's a beautiful thing, quite frankly. That's just human nature. That's how we uh, comport our lives in so many different ways. Um, so, anyway... Anything more to say on that? Nope. All right. And that's it for the end of the game questions. Although before we go, Scott has a shout out for Layla's 14th birthday. Oh my goodness. There's Layla. If you're watching the uh, show on YouTube, you can see it. If not, you can go to dogs.rado.com. Layla with a little party hat out in a field and looking great at 14. What a cutie. He is an oldie. Um, oh, and it looks like he got in some trouble. Uh, I don't know if that was later that day that he came back a little worse for wear. Look at his paws. His uh, paws yeah, the paws all... and the snoot are filthy. And he's lost the hat somewhere along the way. Or she, she, she's lost that. She was the run of the litter and born deaf. Oh. Uh, which to Scott just means she doesn't bark unless she's hungry. She has bad arthritis, but is a happy dog otherwise, a border collie, and she is adorable. Thank you for yeah. sharing. There was actually a uh, dog uh, in the game, the other game stuff, so let me just jump back to that really quick. Where was it? It was Nigel. Everybody, it's uh, we get a monthly update on Charlie, oh. who we've seen several times, but Charlie is now here with his new sister, Sky. Well, we don't see Sky yet. That's Charlie. Oh, oh, oh that's those are some those are some happy golden retrievers, some of the happiest looking dogs you will ever see. I know. Actually, pit bulls have that big old smile. I yeah, yeah, that's just kind of but, welded oh, on their Sky's face. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. How lovely. Yep. Thank you for the pictures, Nigel. Now, are they actually sister and brother, or are you just saying sister because, you know... Nigel did not specify. See attached pictures of Charlie with new sister Sky. I'm going to assume they, could they are not the related. Same. It could be. That's probably a bit of a stretch. But, folks, that was it for the gaming-related stuff. So, if you were just here for games, we are done. And say thank you very much for watching or listening. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. But, if you'd like to have some personal stuff other than what tea Jen is drinking, um, <laughs> hang on for a bit. We'll be right back. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay, everybody, we are back. It's time for the personal questions and answers. Jen is continuing to knit. 
uh, for folks on camera who would like to see evidence of knitting. Oh. Proof of knitting. I just started a new line. Can you not reach? Oh, here you go. So. That's all you get. Ah. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. All right. So Jen's going to continue to knit. She's going to continue to sip her mint something or other tea that is sugar-free from what's it? And we're going <laughs> we're going back to top because top was not done. He had some non-board game questions. Starting with uh, top notices that I've mentioned liking Rick and Morty. Jen does not. As an aside, coincidentally. Topps just discovered the show shortly uh, before my mention, and it's probably one of Topps' favorite cartoons of all time. Top, I like you more all the time. Well, I play games with you. Would like to watch cartoons with you, but continuing, Top says that for him, this and three other cartoons are head and shoulders better than any other cartoon Top's seen. Although he does like others as well, it was curious if I've seen Avatar The Last Airbender, Gravity Falls, and Bob's Burgers. I have not seen any of those. I mean, I feel like I should watch Avatar The Last Airbender just because of its cultural significance. It's such a big, huge deal. But, I don't know, I fell out of love with anime a long, long time ago. And about the only anime I'm interested in at this point is if there's a new Miyazaki Studios uh, film. And I don't know, has there been one for a while? Or didn't he retire for a bit, but then he's coming back? I don't remember. But yeah, I did watch a little bit of, what is it called? Attack on Titan, right after we played the game Attack on Titan, because that was really interesting. And I was like, yeah, I just don't know. It just does. And, and Netflix is putting out tons. Of, I mean, apparently the Castlevania anime is really good and all that, but they just don't capture my attention uh, in the way they did when I was in my early 20s. Oh, and of course, as a kid growing up on Speed Racer and, and, um, oh, uh, Star Blazers and whatnot. Uh, Gravity Falls and Bob's Burgers. I've always kind of meant to watch those, especially Bob's Burgers, because I do relatively regularly uh, watch the Majority Report with Sam Cedar, and I know he's a recurring character on Bob's Burgers, so that'd be interesting. But no, just never got to him. Stopped watching Simpsons a long time ago. Never got into Family Guy. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of cartoons I watch. I'm sure I mentioned it before, um, Archer and whatnot. And, uh, oh, gosh, there was just, um, what's the new one that we were playing, that we were watching for a little bit? And Jen was, we were watching it, it was set in Alaska, can't oh, think of it. Yeah. It's it's from the same team as Bob's Burgers. We watched each, of, we, together we watched like three episodes, so, yeah, this is nice, but there's just no reason to keep going. So, I'm sorry to say, Top, I thought we were completely simpatico, but here's is where we part ways, I'm afraid. <laughs> Alrighty. But then uh, Top does wonder, do I have any favorites that I would recommend? Ooh, yes, um... I've got, I mean, oh, um, well, I mean, if you like Rick and Morty, you have to check out Solar Opposites, which uh, is from one of the co-creators uh, and co-studio heads of Rick and Morty, and there's a lot of overlap. They could even be set in the same universe. Um, and it started out a little slow, but oh my gosh, by the end of the first season, it does so many amazing far-out things. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And it has that same very uh, irreverent and... Uh, borderline psychotic humor that Rick and Morty does. It's really, really great. I really love Archer. Um, what else? What else? Those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure Jen can't think of any cartoons. Let's see. If I were to uh, bring up a web browser and do a quick search... Actually, hold on a second. I can. I don't have to do a hidden search. I was going to look through all the TV shows I watch on nextepisode.net, but that's a long, long list, and I'm not signed in anyway. So if I just do popular prime time cartoons, I'm sure Google will give me... Uh, right. Oh, uh, of course, Futurama, obviously. Uh, C-Lab. Never watched C-Lab 2021. Right, yeah, most of the... Uh, right. I thought Google was just going to give me a nice little... Nope. All right, that's five-time word. 
List of American Primetime Animated Series from Wikipedia. Let's go with that. Okay. And uh, let's jump to the now and then go back. Oh, my gosh. All right. Oh, The Great North. Is, uh, uh, top, you should check out The Great North. You probably already have because if you love Bob's Burger, I'm sure you'll love it too. Oh, Duncanville. Is that what I'm thinking of? No, no. I have not seen Duncanville. But there is another one. That reminds me. Let's see if it comes up on this list. Uh, right, Bob's Burgers, Bless the Heart, Axe Cop. Nope, nope, nope. All right, this is far, far, far from a thorough list. Shoot. But it does pop one into my head that stars one of the f- contributors on the old John Stewart Daily Show about a couple of guys who were sort of losers, and they were like uh, childhood detectives, and they grew up to be adult detectives still solving the mysteries that kids would solve. Oh, I can't think of the name of it now, but it's really good. Scooby-Doo? No, no, no. <laughs> um, nope, that would be a completely different thing. That's kind of similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in the same uh, wheelhouse. Wow, this is a terrible list. This isn't very good at all. All right, a uh, John Hodgman. All right, IMDb John Hodgman or something like that. I forget what channel it's on, AMC or or FX or something like that. Uh, Dick Town, uh, you know, because that's actually, I believe it's the name of the town that they live in, or, and, uh, you know, the, the mystery of the president's physician, the impossible car, the mystery of the moaning ghost, and it's really just these, uh, it's great chemistry between the two leads as they go around and try to solve mysteries that aren't really mysteries. It's very, very good. Really like that one a lot as well. Yeah, I had thought I would get a better list. All right, so now if I go on ahead and sign into the next episode, which is a great website, by the way, one of the ones I actually pay for, because it um, tells you all the shows that are on today, and it also tells you all new shows that are popping up that, oh, in case you haven't missed it, but only for like the first season, and if you never sign up for it, it makes it go away. So it's not like a list of all 500 new episodes every day, but just the newly new stuff. It's a great website. I really like it a lot. And, um, oh, but I've got it in a small window, so it's not showing me my list of all the shows I've got. So I've got to go full screen, and then the side thing comes up. Wait, can't I search? Uh, You know what, Top? Ask me again six months from now, and I'll be more on the spot ready to, uh, to to talk about this. Alrighty, I was not prepared. But try out Dicktown, and Archer, and Solar Opposite. You gave me three, those are three for you, plus... Whatever it was. The Great North. Yeah, I mean, you're going to love that one. All right. Continuing on, uh, Top seems to recall that I explained why I don't play video games anymore. Top thinks it was because I know so much about how the sausage is made that I just, I'd be dissecting the design of them uh, and I wouldn't enjoy myself. Is that it? That's part of it. I, that was kind of leading to burnout, that I couldn't just enjoy a game. I don't know that that would still be the case anymore because... I've been out of the uh, video game industry for over a decade now, so I have no reason to dissect games, but I still have no desire to go back and play them. Anytime I'm spending playing a video game, it would be better spent playing a board game with her. It will just be more fun. It's just efficient use of time, which is what board games teach us, if nothing else. Uh, For a very brief moment, I kind of thought, oh, maybe I'll get into VR gaming when we got the Oculus Quest. Mm, Yeah. Um, but it turns out we just use that for exercise. Uh, Supernatural is fantastic, and I do like Pistol Whip, but really mostly for the exercise. I don't know if I'd play it if it didn't really give me a good workout. Um, I did play through the, uh, that Darth Vader thing, and that was really, really cool, but I didn't really enjoy it as a game, more as just a multimedia experience that I was in. I was in a Star Wars film. That was pretty cool. But no, I, I just have a hard time enjoying them. They'd seem like a, they seem like an empty way to spend time. 
And of course they're not. I don't mean to disparage them or anything like that. Of course, I spent a sizable portion of my life playing them. But it's, it is it is so inferior as an experience to something that I can share with Jen. Stopping and thinking and not just twitching and reacting. So, yeah, at this point, I don't think it's the dissection anymore. That kind of contributed to me getting burned out. But now I just can't bring myself to go back um, at all. Alrighty. Uh, top continues. Is part of my version of playing video games... Honey, you used to play video games. Why do you not play video games? Why do you not have... You know, I mean, so many people have apps on their phones that they play, you know, little offshoots of Dr. Mario and, and you know, Gemblo and stuff like that. I mean, why don't you have any games like that on your phone that you'll play when you've just got a few minutes to kill? Because uh, I've got other things to do when I've got a few minutes to kill. Mm -hmm. so. And games just aren't good enough. Bo video games aren't good enough a way to spend those few minutes. Know. For a while there, I was doing what is it, Luminosity, which is a uh, mind game. Oh yes, game I remember stuff. you doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I enjoyed that. I think I just don't have anything on my phone right now, so I don't do it. Okay. I would. I guess I check um, Instagram or something instead. Mm -hmm. And you find that more compelling than playing, than matching gems or completing patterns or. Yeah, I guess so. Yep. All right. Yeah, we 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 we're just over it. We're old. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, I got carded today. Yep, yeah, Jen got carded. At, uh, she was very, very happy about yeah, that. I was at Target. Yep. And I got myself some margarita mix, and the lady said, may I see your ID? <laughs> and you said, you, you realize, looking at the ID, I'm over 50 years old. <laughs> and the, what did the lady say? Keep doing what you're doing. And Jen, Jen walked out of there with a spring in her step. <laughs> All righty. Video games have evolved a lot since my designing days? Am I curious how they've changed? Or am I intentionally limiting my involvement because they can be such a time sink? No, it's, it really just comes down to... I mean, there have been a few games I've come back to try. I remember a few years ago, I did a top 10 video games. And that immediately got a whole bunch of people saying, Oh, Roddy, you got to try this and this and this. If you like those, these are the same, but even better. And I think the only thing that came out of that brief window of, uh, of uh, experimenting was both Jay and I agreed, Oh, this... What was it? Stop talking or everyone explodes, which is really a board game at its heart. One player's playing a board game and one player's playing a very simple video game. And we kind of like that, but not enough to keep going at it. Remember, it's, you were, you were, you had a, on your laptop, you were defusing a bomb and I had oh, an yeah. actual manual yep. and you'd have to say, there's four buttons. What do I push? And I'd have to, well, which of them are green? None of them are green. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that was and like, yeah. And that was neat, but not enough to keep us coming back or... I don't know. I guess we'd play it again, but we played it a couple times and then just moved on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, heck, I just played, uh, I, I just did a top 10 for Pandemic, and to get some B-roll, I played, I mean, it cost me 10 bucks, so I bought the Pandemic Windows game, and I was like, okay, this is nice, but I'm just going to play this long enough to be able to put the video uh, in my top 10, and I'm not going to continue playing it. I thought maybe I would, but it just didn't grab me. I'm, I, I want to touch things. I want to hold things. I want to move things. Human beings are tactile creatures. I mean, for the longest time, I remember uh, you know, there, there was a time when remote controls kind of went through this big paradigm shift where, oh, remote controls are now going to have no buttons. They're all screens with programmable buttons. It's so great. And I hated those because you can't feel the buttons. And I want to feel the buttons. I think there's kind of, they've stopped pushing in that direction now, which is good. But yeah, I mean, human beings want to touch things, feel things, be connected to things. And video games can't let you do that. Um, yeah, I mean, no amount of force feedback in the world or haptics or what have you will, you know, replace picking up a worker and putting it down somewhere. 
I, that said, I probably should try board games in VR. That might be interesting. But um, I just can't be bothered. Alrighty. So, Top's not done with the video games, though. Do you have anything to say about that, Honey Pie? No. No. Uh, some video games have a strong narrative aspect and minimize the gameplay parts. Uh, these are known as walking simulators. Had not heard that. Do you think you would enjoy these? No. Gone Home is an example. Honestly, I think I would enjoy those even less because... I mean, no offense to my former video game developer, compatriots, the storytelling um, in my experience for video games is not all that. And if anything, I find more and more that um, TV and movies are kind of skewing towards video game level storytelling. I'm talking about The Mandalorian. I'm talking about um, Rise of Skywalker, potentially. But I've noticed this on other things as well. It's like, wow, this really feels like a video game plot. And um, so, I don't know, maybe, maybe, th maybe things are turning around. Maybe video games have flipped the script and now they're the ones in, and, and popular media is becoming more shallow. But no, I, I mean, at some point I should play... I know The Walking Dead stuff is supposedly really amazing and I used to love The Walking Dead, but I just can't... I'm, I'm sorry, Top, you're not convincing me. I can't do it. But you're not done. Some video games are mostly clever puzzles, like the Room series. Do you think you would enjoy these? Some games, like the Talos Principle, combine puzzles, narrative, and philosophical aspects. Honey Pie, would you want to play a video game version of an escape room? There are a lot of them, actually. Oh. Which I assume the Room series is. Okay. I mean, and I know there's ones for VR as well, so you could really feel like you're there. I'd give it a try, but I don't think it would be... Well, I don't know. I, I would give it a try. But we find those frustrating anyway, because... They have to have some little twisty thing to make it harder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I feel like it's kind of like, well, of course Sherlock Holmes knows everything because the, the author is writing him. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I feel about um, escape rooms. Really? See, that's surprising because I, I, I was burned out on escape room, board game versions of escape rooms. And I thought Jen was too. But then we played, what's it? The Initiative last month. And Jen was like, oh my gosh, this is great. I love all this cipher code cracking stuff. And you were really into it. And I'm like, oh, does that mean you want to go back to escape rooms then? But what? That was the best part of that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm putting aside the gameplay. You were just really digging the, yeah. the puzzles. Yeah, I, I like to figure things out. Uh-huh. Yeah. So does that mean you want to play more? I mean, because maybe board game escape rooms have not stopped coming out. And I, <laughs> I've just gotten to the point where I just tell, keep telling publishers, please stop sending them to us. We don't want them anymore. Should I not be doing that? Do you want mm -hmm. them? I kind of thought... But then I was really surprised. That you were digging those code ciphers. Well, it's interesting. When I did uh, my final thoughts with Shay, because he was talking about how, to him, it, I mean, you know, if, uh, initiative feels more like an escape room because it doesn't try to couch the experience of, oh, no, you're not solving puzzles. You're here in, in investigating a story, and there's a narrative, and we kind of hide the puzzles and obfuscate them. And Shay was like, oh, this is so nice just to have the puzzle right there. It's literally right there. All we have to do is solve this puzzle by find this pattern or what have you. And I wonder if maybe you, did you find that more attractive than the escape rooms we've kind of started getting burned out on? Mm. Because there's no obfuscation. There's yeah. no, oh, look, we're trying to cleverly hide it and you have to think outside the box for this thing. She's like, no, it's a code-breaking puzzle. Break the code or don't. Yeah. Uh, maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, all right. Finally. Finally, we get to the end of Top's email, where he points out that lots of AAA games have extended cutscenes. Some folks on YouTube have put together videos containing all the cutscenes plus the relevant character dialogue. Do you think you'd be able to enjoy watching these as purely non-interactive experience? Geez, that sounds like a pretentious way of saying a movie. Um, I think I did. I think I've watched a bit of like what's the really popular series from the guy from the Naughty Dog, Last of Us. I think is that it. I forget. Uh, post-apocalypse 
uh, guy and daughter. I think I tried watching the stuff and I just wasn't engaged. Um, I think I even watched like, you know, the final half hour, you know, the beginning and the end. And I, I don't know. It maybe gets back to what you were talking about earlier. I'm just too close to it. I ha can't tell you how many hundreds of hours I've spent in creative meetings, you know, trying to knock out all the beats of storytelling and Fable and Brink and Siphon Filter and all that. And I know... I, 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 just, I just see all these beats. They're like, I see them coming a mile away. Nothing ever really engages me or captures my imagination. Maybe it's just because I've done it for so many years. And maybe that's why I'm really sensitive to it. But no, I, that doesn't pull me in. I've even tried to be pulled in. Friends of mine who are still in the industry and, like, and they, they, their games have done really, really well. I've gone and watched videos of games and like, well, I'm really happy for them, but I just can't get excited. It's just, it's, I don't know. Shouldn't be saying any of this in case I end up having to go back to work in the video game industry. But, um... I have to fake it, but yeah, it's just there's just nothing there for me. But I thank you for trying, Top. Okay, phew, that was a lot. All right, any, any final words on video games, Honey Pie? Um, only if we get invited to do Lord of the Rings. Do you have to get excited? Oh, if if somebody contacted me to do an MMO of Lord of the Rings, yep. which that was already done, and it wasn't well, we didn't enjoy it. It didn't. It did not capture our attention. It didn't pull us away from. Were we still in World of Warcraft at that point? I don't remember now. Um, anyway, though. Okay, then. Let's move on to Jack. And now, uh, first of all, Jack, I need to apologize. I know you sent two messages. I'm going to skip the other one because I really don't want to, you know, relitigate the events of January 6th. Uh, you know, it's obviously still too raw, and I don't want to get into a pissing contest about, oh, which is, which is more tragic, this or that? I, I just... I, I just don't want to platform that, Jack. So I apologize for that. But let's go with your other one about social media bans. Because we pointed out last podcast uh, that I've continually um, analogized social media platforms with people's front lawns. Not exactly. Did I do... I Mostly I'm analogizing my channel where I am in control and I feel I have a responsibility for the community that I foster with my front lawn. I think that's where I draw the analogy, but let's continue. Uh, this analogy fails to address the problem of high-profile bannings because the government privileges the, because the government privileges these pro, uh, platforms. For one, they're legally protected against libel lawsuits. Um, kind of, sort of. And, yeah, I, honestly, I think, what is it, 203 or 230, that, you know, that, that particular clause, I think that does give them, personally, sorry, as an aside, too much leeway. It is important and what it's doing, but I, I do think it, it lets them off the hook too much. And you're right. I, I think social media platforms do have an unfair free ride and it, it should be readdressed. The, the law that was written in 96 needs to be looked at again because it's almost doing more harm than good at this point. Uh, or at least it's it's not solving the problems it was set out to do, and it is allowing for some very bad behavior, while also still protecting some fundamental freedoms and all that, too. But I think it does need to really be reevaluated. Right. So, um, right. I mean, so, as you say, the, that, you know, f social media platforms are legally protected against libel lawsuits, and yet you cannot lie about people on your front lawn. Uh, you can. But, uh, oh yeah, and then you continue, that if you do, they can sue you for damages. Yes, again, that's the, the 230 loophole that social media platforms are not, what is it, they're, they're, they're publishers, they're not platform, I forget, you know, but anyway. I, I, if, if your point is that social media platforms need to be more regulated, I would say yes. I don't think that's your point, though. Um, you know, based on the fact that you're a very, very hardcore conservative, I believe you want less regulation, and um, I'm thinking there should, probably should be more because of the problems that are evolving and affecting our society. But anyway, 
Uh, right, if I do that right. So, social media platforms are immune from that. Not entirely. That's a little reductive, but they are largely protected. It's true. Um, you know, there are some, you know, uh, they, you know, they, they are actually, they can be held accountable if what they allow uh, breaks federal law. It's state law that they are immune from, and that's a real problem. And there's a reason for it, of course, because some state law is crazy. And, you know, states can get a little carried away, whereas federal law, in theory, is a little bit more moderated in its approach. So, um, you know, they can still be held accountable for certain things, but it's not all-encompassing. Anyway, second, you continue, Jack, that your tax dollars don't go towards your front lawn. Uh, so, of course, uh, actually, is that entirely true? Uh, your tax dollars no, do... tax dollars don't go towards your front yard. Well, no, no, he's talking about his own front lawn. You know, he, he's saying, hey, um, you know, if... If, if Facebook is allowed... To, I mean, he's talking about allowing yeah, to ban know, Trump know, and, and all that. Actual right, pronoun. second. Um, Jack's tax dollars don't go towards... Oh, my front lawn. Oh, okay, yeah, you are kidding me. Yeah, thanks, Annie. Bye. So, of course, I should have no say in what you do with it. However, government officials use social media platforms. They promote them through this use, and their time spent uh, is on the taxpayer dime. So I have no choice but to send money through my tax dollars to the likes of Jack Dorsey. I am going to disagree with you on that one, Jack. I think that is a big stretch. By that argument, everything that a senator or a mayor does in their off time, you are supporting with your tax dollars because your tax dollars pay their salary. I don't think that's the case. I, I don't think that you are um, you are supporting car rental dealerships or bookstores or, or Amazon when they buy stuff. What they do in their personal time, whether they're a public figure or not. So I'm going to disagree with you on that, but let's continue. So no, these media platforms are not just Jack Dorsey and Zuckerberg's front lawns. They're already taxpayer-funded entities. I'm going to strongly disagree with you on that. Although, Jack... I'll give you the benefit of saying they do get a lot of ridiculous tax subsidies. I mean, you don't have to do this weird thing of, oh, because they post on Twitter, I, ha I basically gave a fraction of a penny to Twitter. I don't stand for that, but you're right. Facebook and Amazon and all these places get huge state-level tax subsidies um, by pitting cities and states against each other to open up call centers and all of that. And that's crap. That's garbage. Um, and it's it's an unfortunate side effect of, of capitalism leaching into the public good. Be, you know, and it ultimately leads to more trouble than not. And good job on New York for saying no. They drew a line in the sand and said, no, we're not going to give you all of that. Uh, but anyway, still, so there, there's kind of a and a capitalism version of what you're talking about, which again, I don't think is what you're really talking about because you love capitalism, but it's really capitalism that drives those subsidies for these platforms. And it is not cool. Anyway, though, given these considerations, do I maintain that social media platforms have every right to ban anyone off their platform, including uh, Donald Trump, who has 80 million American support? Uh, um, I do believe it is well within their rights to do it, um, particularly if they have a publicly stated code of conduct. And if you break that code of conduct, they can show you the door. I still believe that's the case. And I don't believe you made a strong enough opinion otherwise. Honey, do you have anything to say? I think that if you're spreading lies and you're harming people, then mm -hmm. you lose your rights. Right. And that would be, the, those would be, you know, the, the continued insistence of spreading a demonstrably damaging and dangerous, seditious lie uh, is what ultimately got him kicked off those platforms. And I think they were well within their rights to do it. I believe they were morally right to do it as well. I think they should have done it a lot sooner and more people would literally be alive today if they had.
But I know you're going to disagree, and then you continue to your second question. Assuming I still maintain my position, I'm okay with Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, etc. banning. Oh, would I be okay with him banning Joe Biden? If he broke their code of conduct, if he broke their rules, if he was uh, spreading lies that would lead to riots in our nation's capital, yes, I would. I think he should definitely be uh, banned. I think anybody should be banned who does that. Um, anybody. Uh, as far as I know, well, first of all, Joe Biden spends no time on social media anyway. So it's a moot point, but, um... He does it, do a little bit, although it might be his people posting... Yeah, things. exactly, yes. He, he does a few, uh, go get and, uh, the dogs? I, I don't follow it anymore. I used to follow, uh, what is it? Champ and... Chief. Chief and... I don't remember the dogs' I names. Remember the new one. Yeah. Um, Scamp, whatever. Uh, I, I used to follow them, but uh, I think that's about as far as his social media presence goes. But yes, if he were fomenting lies or spreading lies that uh, basically tear down the fundamental nature of our nation, yes, he should be banned as well. All right, um, and, 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 and he should be banned because he would be breaking very clearly stated um, codes of conduct that he agreed to when he created the account. It's a, and if you don't agree with it, don't create the account in the first place. But nobody reads all that. Yeah, all right. Uh, anyway, what, what, what Champ and Major. Champ and Major. All righty. I'm rooting for you, Major. You'll make it back in. Um, you're a good dog. All righty. So... If these social media companies decided they don't want any BLM-associated message or individual on their platform and ban them all, would I be okay with that? I would be okay with that if they if the platform demonstrated, once again, that they were um, breaking the rules uh, that everybody agrees to when they get on these platforms. Again, I, there's, I mean, I have no problem with them banning me if they can demonstrate that I have broken the rules that I agreed to when I created my user account. It's what it comes down to. I mean, dude, you're a conservative. You should be pro-business rights. This is a business rights issue. The business has the right to say, this is the contract I have entered in with you. Uh, if you break the terms of this contract, you are no longer allowed access to the premises. Dude, this is... This is Wedding Cakes 2.0. I would imagine you're totally agree that people shouldn't have to make gay wedding cakes if they don't want to, correct? Same thing is going on here. Anyway, though. What if they all banned Rado channels on my uh, and my Patreon? Then, if, you know, if if I feel that I did not break the rules or code of conduct, obviously I'd appeal. And if not, I'd say, "Oh, that's too bad for me because I, I you know, I'll, I'll have to take my show on the road." And that's okay. You know what? I could take my show to Vimeo. I could take my show to Daily Motion. I could take my show to a million other places. I could host the videos myself. I could um, get, use PayPal to raise funds instead of Patreon. I could go back to Kickstarter. There's a, I could just create blogs. I can create a new account with Jen's name <laughs> or my name. There's nothing stopping me from doing any of this. So honestly, I'm, I, don't, I don't see the problem, buddy. Anyway, though. Um, would I be okay with that? I would be okay with them. And again, I, I, I think you probably, I, I'm pro regulation. I am pro, um, the law being in place to prevent people from being able to yell fire in a crowded theater. And that's what we're talking about here. Nobody should have the right to do that. And if I'm doing that, I should be kicked off as well. All right. Uh, and if you feel the need to report me so that I can hopefully get kicked off, by all means, there are methods for you to do that. Righty, my entire source of financing gone tomorrow because for whatever reason they decided they didn't want to mess it on front lawn. No, it's not for whatever reason. Jack, buddy, 
It's right there in the small print that, as Jen pointed out, you and I and Trump didn't read. <laughs> read it! If you don't agree with it, don't sign on the dotted line in the first place, buddy! Again, this is standard business rights. Corporations are people, right? So they have the right to refuse service. There's, there, there's nothing wrong or nefarious here. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, to, fi to finalize, you ask, do social media platforms have any obligation to the people that use them to allow messaging they might not agree with on their platforms? They regular! I mean, have you looked at YouTube and Twitter and Facebook? Rest assured, all sides of every spectrum are there, in force, en masse. The vast majority of people are not being um, removed from the platforms. Uh, you and I are not being removed from the platforms. Um, I do occasionally have strikes against my uh, channel. I might get a strike depending on what uh, audio I put on this one. Uh, but that gets back to the 230 thing that I think, you know, the original law from 96 really focused more, again, on business rights because YouTube can be held accountable. It, you know, you know, can't be held accountable for whatever I say on my channel, but can be held accountable if I use copyright materials. So again, that was an example of government um, writing the law to favor business instead of human humans. So I could actually do a series of videos that can destroy a person's life. Absolutely, um, you know, by accusing them of, of things that are blatantly false. And, um, and you know, and if, and, if, and if they try to stop me, oh, I'll just create another account and I'll just keep doing it. There's nothing they can do to stop. And that's why um, I do believe that YouTube does have a responsibility if they are the platform wherein people shout fire in a crowded theater. Which is why I do think 230... Uh, you know, there are elements of it that need to be preserved, but it does need to be revisited, which I'm sure is the exact opposite of what you were looking for. Or maybe not, I'm not quite sure. But, um, yeah, I signed a contract with them. If they want to cancel the contract because I'm in breach of the contract, that's how contracts work, buddy. Do you have anything to add to that, honey pie? No, I think you've done it. Okay, then. Uh, thanks, Jack. As always, talk to you next month. Okay, uh, Gerard says... Uh, he heard on the podcast that, um, that Jen and I would like to see some of his Lego... Remember, he talked about Lego animations that he did. He yeah. used to do. He had a channel. Yeah. Did it a few years ago. Uh, hope you enjoy them. Yes, you can post this on the web for other C's. So let's go on ahead and open this. And um, bop, bop, bop. All righty. What do we got here? <laughs> the name of the video is Stolen Pepsi. I'm going to play it at double speed. And it's... All right. Oh, oh they're talking. He just right. launched his Pepsi. All right. And wow... Jeez Louise, that's a lot of animation. This is, you might as well be doing a... Oh my gosh. Everything is awesome. <laughs> okay, it's not as good as the Lego movie, but wow. Gerard, this, this, how long did this take you? Again, I apologize for folks who, uh, who are listening to the podcast, can't see this. Uh, there'll be a link down in the show notes if you want to go check out Gerard's Stolen Pepsi video, which is ridiculously ambitious. Wow. That's very impressive. Um, and only less than 500 views. That's not right. That's not right. Um, folks, go check out the link in the show notes. Go check out Stolen Pepsi I by Gerard. I can't believe Pepsi hasn't gotten a hold of you. I know. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was doing that. Because maybe, maybe it'll go viral and Pepsi will pay me for doing I don't know. But no, that was very impressive. Thank you for sharing it, Gerard. Yeah. All right. And I don't believe you had any questions? No. Okay. Okay, then let's go back to uh, questions with uh, Olivier. Let's go back when... Oh, wait. You want to go back? What do you want? I just said something. Hope you enjoyed as much as they did. Who, who is they? Who? For work. As much as they did. Hope, yeah. Who is they, Gerard? Who, who are you doing this for? Oh, he said for work. For work? Yeah. 
Did you used to work for Pepsi? I guess. Well, okay, you got to get back to us with some more information. Yeah. Inquiring minds want to know. Indeed. Okay. Olivier says, uh, here's, the Frank, here's Frank West, who's a board game designer, explaining his new Not Safe for Cats expansion, April Fool's. You sent this on April 1st. Yes, you did. With hidden information in Cat Warfare, find, uh, Olivier finds the video hilarious, and the commitment to it is great. Do Jen and I enjoy these types of April Fool pranks and shenanigans? Do you have other examples of April Fool videos like this one that come to mind? Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Honey Pie? Uh, I mean, it's five minutes long. I'm not going to watch it, but I mean, I'm sure it's him talking about a new, exciting expansion that he's putting together, and it's one where he went so far as to actually make components for it and new cards that he's showing for turning Isle of Cats into a war game. It looks like, and that, and yeah, he clearly put a lot of work into this. I'm not saying as much work as that Pepsi video, but I mean, he figured out how to do green screen to put himself on the screen. This is really amazing, um, right? And so, and you're right. Come April 1st, every year there's a bunch of these things. When I was in the video game industry, the last company I worked for, Splash, or next to last, Splash Damage, we did one of these every year. Uh, you, know, you know, basically doing uh, tons of art and sometimes video to talk about new games that we were announcing the launch of that were patently silly and all of that. So, with all that, Honey Pie, what are your thoughts about April Fool's uh, uh, stuff like that? I think anything that makes you feel creative and gets your juices flowing is is great. Okay. I, mean, I think that's really cool. Um, whether I'm going to spend the time and energy to look at it and appreciate it, uh, probably not. But I think it's awesome. And if it's probably already paid dividends for him in some way that he had no idea was going to be so. connected. Yeah. Um, 2,000 views and um, 50 thumbs up. And were there any comments? Were there any comments? Oh, and 15 comments. So, you know, it did okay. It did okay by board game standards. And so, yeah. Uh, oh, hey, hate it. Paulo even liked it. Our Paulo. Ronald runs through Paulo liked it. Alrighty. And Paulo almost bought it. Oh, because he's... Oh, do they not celebrate April Fool's Day? Is that only an American thing? I have no idea. I'm trying to think of it. I don't think... Was it ever a deal when we lived in England? I don't... No, of course it was, because we, we did it for... Um, but as a video game company, we did it because, you know, we had an international audience and all of that. Um, yeah. So, uh, what do I think about them? I think, uh, I guess I, I'm going to be a little bit more gracious than I might have otherwise been after Jen's kind words and say, yeah, it's a really great uh, exercise, lots of really interesting creative outlets, but personally, I'm not interested. So, I'm afraid I do not have any good examples. Do you have any examples of April Fool's jokes that you really dug, Honey Pie? Uh, probably about 20 or 30 years ago, the, the Motley Fool did some that were pretty darn funny. Yeah. About, you know. New investment New opportunities, investment stuff, or you know, companies doing crazy stuff, or whatever. I don't even remember them. I remember enjoying them, mm -hmm. and that's about it. Olivier uh, had one more he wanted to share, and it's a new game from. Oh right, oh this was from. Uh, yeah, I did see this. Uh, so this was Paul Grogan, who I've done videos with. Okay, this is uh, just I did a quick Google. How April Fool's Day is celebrated in, in 11, eleven countries around the world. So uh -huh. apparently, okay. it's not just us. All right, okay. It's weird. Uh, so I remember I did watch this one that Paul pretended that this puzzle based on a game was, oh, it's the latest game and we're going to play it. We're going to sit down. Seems like it's a cooperative game. Any number of players can join. <laughs> and uh, well, I'm no rules. That's going to be a strike against it. And look at all these components. Have you ever seen this many components in a board game? And he's and, tasted one. Yep. Oh, and he's got a purple meeple. So he's awesome. Yeah. Right. Uh, he has purple meeple in I general. Like him. So yeah, no, this was very cute. And I believe he actually did a, you know, him and his wife. I did, I did actually watch this because I subscribed to Paul and I really like it. And so, I don't know. Yeah, this was nice. This was sweet. This was charming. 
Would I have enjoyed it as much if I didn't know Paul personally in real life and consider him a friend? I don't know. I mean, if, if it's just like a complete stranger, I think, oh yeah, that was kind of clever, but I don't think, I mean, I, I, I carry a lot of warmth for this because I really like Paul and I'm rooting for him all the time. He's just the greatest. So yeah, and I, I believe he's actually doing voiceover, uh, you know, talking about their experience and, you know, how they, I think they treated it as a race and she was clearly winning against him and, yeah. and, and it was, it was really sweet, very charming. And you're right. It was a lot of fun. I'll put links for these things as well, folks, in addition to the Pepsi commercial if you want to check out the April Fool's in case you missed them. All righty. But we're going to move on to Tim, who um, <laughs> his fiance insists that he share an older picture of Doug the Cat. Uh, it's Doug O'Pix. Lost a bit of weight since we took this picture. Doug needed some help. As always, folks, <laughs> you can check out Doug at dogs.rotto.com. I do wonder if Doug is plugged in. It looks like his, his cable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad he's lost some weight since then, because that's that was not a good place it to be, be for Doug. Mostly fluffy. Yeah, you're right. It could be fluff. I don't think that's fluff. I Aww. think that's something else. Well, I'm still, fluff. look at that tom. Yep, yep, yep. That's quite the tom. Very paddable. <laughs> Alrighty, we're gonna move on to Chris, who says hello to me and to Jen. All right, first time emailer, and uh, right. So, really thought my first email would be about some sort of pressing questions with seismic changes taking place in and around our planet. However, that's not going to happen. Like many I've been forced to adopt working from home for the future tends to be my chosen background noise. I'm curious to know if uh, Chris's reading? new habits are reflected in some of my streaming figures. Oh, you know what? This is a game-related question. I remember this, oh. uh, this, this is actually in the other. I think there was a non-game thing later on. Right, because again, as always, I'm doing this out of order, and I'm doing the stuff with Jen first, and then I'll get to the game stuff later. Yeah, but you're also not reading thoroughly, so our, for people that are listening to this as a podcast, they have to trust me. But they've had to trust us for. I know, but you're just you're not you're reading. You're kind of blah, 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 blah. yeah. So I'm just trying to get to the question. Okay, well, I just didn't want you to ignore your listeners in, mm -hmm. in lieu of the. People who could Would you it. like to read the whole thing? It's no. very long. No, I don't. I, there you go. I'm That's the problem. Saying, so that's why I'm just trying to get to the meat. <sighs> okay. Yeah? I... Go ahead. But, I mean, okay. I don't understand. This is not my show. But I'm just saying, if people are listening on the podcast, yes. you're actually not thoroughly reading. And they're they're probably following along going, what the hell did you Oh, yeah, no. I, no, normally, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I wasn't and assuming that they'd actually understand. I was just trying to get to where the question was. Ah, okay. And then I was going to... All right, so so basically what Chris is saying is blah, blah. That was my intention. Okay, I apologize. Okay, oh no, it's just fine. It's perfectly reasonable. Uh, the audience needs an advocate. All right, and it, it's going to be Advocate Jen. All right. Let's see. So anyway, so you had the you had the channel-related, game-related questions up top, but I remember there was some kind of... Um, right. Oh, it had to do with sports. Yes, it was down here. All right. So, from older podcasts, Chris remembers I have zero interest in sports. Um, right. From about two years ago, I must have said this. Uh, so, that's stuck with Chris. Through gaming, specifically board gaming, Chris finds he's ended up with a very opposite view about sports. Mm. Don't get me wrong. On one level, uh, he does not get sports, the commercial aspects, salaries. But putting these things aside, don't I, as a viewer, with a gaming background, appreciate any of the tactics or strategies often on display. As a result of Chris's gaming hobby, he often looks beyond the activities on screen and gets drawn into the events of the dueling nature. Uh, if anything, Chris now watches a wider variety of sports as he takes in each sport's potentially hidden depths. The thing I'm trying to say is, I don't like chess much, but I have a respect for what it brought to gaming. Can't dismiss it out of hand, so I feel sports can inspire design and shouldn't be overlooked. So that's... Oh, the question is, don't I think? Um, what do you think, Honey Pie? Should you be enjoying sports? Um, oh, I'll bring on the sports ball. 
<laughs> no, I don't think that I'm necessarily obligated to that. Well, but yeah, but you're not professionally obligated to. I suppose this could have been a game-related question as well, but we'll leave it here. Um, yeah, I guess both these were really kind of about the channel, because what you're saying is, well, hey, I'm a board game professional. I analyze games for a living. Should I not... Would I not be better at my job if I had a finer appreciation for the tactics and strategy inherent in sports competitions? Maybe. Yes. Sure. Uh -huh. Still don't like it. Still don't enjoy it. Still cannot get invested in it. Um, I believe I've watched many... Probably at this point in my life, at 52, I've probably watched hundreds of hours of sporting events over the course of my life, both in person and on TV, mostly because of other people, and I was just going along with it. Or when I was very, very young, I was trying to fit in and say, oh, all my other friends uh, like sports, so I should try to like it too. And I just, I faked it. Even then, I couldn't enjoy it. Even when I was playing them, I don't recall particularly enjoying it and would have rather been off shooting marbles at the end of the day um, as my playground activity, which I guess that's a sport too, arguably. So, yeah, um, I appreciate that you get deeper meaning and resonance. I'm sure it's all there, uh, you know, the football manager side of football. Uh, but, yeah, I'm just, I, I just can't, I can't, I can't pull myself in. But there's things like, um, yes. what's that show that we're watching where the guy came over from America and doesn't like tea? The football? Oh, Ted Lasso, yes. Yeah, so... <laughs> The guy who doesn't like tea. That's what Jen clearly took away from the first season of Ted Lasso. The man does not like tea. <laughs> he doesn't like tea. It's true. He made a, it was a repeated joke. Yep. yep it was good clear. stuff. Um, but anyway, I mean, so you can, we can enjoy sports that way. Sure. But I mean, I, you know, that entire show could take place in in an office. That uh, show could take place in a high school. Uh, that's just about coworkers. Uh, who have been brought together by a job and trying to get through the struggles of life and overcome group activities together. And, um, and I mean, I, I, I will certainly agree. I have certain, I mean, uh, gosh, I love The Natural with Robert Redford. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'll, I'll tear up if I hear the music, you know, when he hits the big homer and shatters the lights and all that. I mean, so there's an, uh, there's an incredible pageantry and, um, you know, uh, of, you know, for sports uh, presented in the right way. But yeah, I, I, I just, I, I, I doff my cap. I do not begrudge anybody for their enjoyment, yourself included. But believe me, I, I can't tell you how many hundreds of hours I've spent. And it's just never moved me. I've, it's just genetic at this point. Is there something about my brain chemistry that just makes me, you know, in, in the same way that, I mean, I don't know, do I need to have a fundamental uh, tribal drive because, you know, I really want to have a team to root for and you know, maybe I can't invest myself on that level. I don't know. But I, I've just never, ever, ever, ever ever been able to do it. And I remember as a little kid, literally faking it, pretending um, so that I could fit in with the other kids. And I just, just never could care. And um, now it is true. Think about it. I did not grow up in a household. My dad did not watch sports. My son and my mom didn't watch sports. And uh, I wonder if that, I wonder, you know, if because I did not have that influence in my life at a young age. But no, on the other hand, Jen grew up Jen's dad has been a sports fiend her entire life. Yeah, he likes, we call it um, watching the football game, but really it's Sunday nap. Yeah, Sunday nap time. <laughs> um, falling asleep in front of the football game. So, and that never rubbed off on you, right? No, I don't. I mean, when I was a cheerleader, I cared about, but I knew the people who were playing. You cared about the people playing, not yeah. the game itself. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I can't quite say why it's never you know, raised my pulse, but it just doesn't. And you're right. I'm sure there's lots of depth and wonder to it that I'm missing out on. But, you know, that's true of a lot of things. Can't, can't experience it all. Okay. 
And right, here we are with oh, Melanie. Um, right, so Melanie says, you guys have a natural approach to your health, but what about your dogs? What do you feed them? Uh, do you get them vaccinated or do you skip those? Since Yo-Yo died, I found a holistic group of Yorkies and now my dogs are off of heartworm poison slash drugs. Gone are my flea collars and now I'm feeding them a raw diet and I'm a major advocate for that. Also, we finally picked up our puppy about two months ago. We named him Kaipo, which means sweetheart in Hawaiian. I'm from Hawaii originally. Here he is. Oh, oh my goodness. Road. Wow. And here he is with Yuki. I think General liked these photos. Oh, those are lovely. Um, yep, those are excellent photos. Um, <laughs> you, you remember it was Yuki and Yo-Yo, and Yo-Yo, they'd only just got her or him last year, and he just died unexpectedly, and it was very, very sad. And so I'm really, really happy that, what was it, Cairo? Kaipo, Kaipo. Um, is in your life. That looks, it looks awesome. Yeah. You can see from the last photo that Yuku, y Yuki is smiling. He was mourning when we brought home Kaipo in early March. He started perking up. He's so happy now. Uh, it's the most I've ever seen him smiling. Kaipo is very different than Yo-Yo, very laid back, and he even has separation anxiety uh, for out of his eyesight. All right, so folks, you got to go to dogs.rio.com. Kaipo is to die for. All righty. But anyway, Honey Pie, yes. approach to dog health. Ah, well, yes. So all of our dogs have gotten their vaccinations. Okay. Um, I don't necessarily um, do the knee jerk every year you vaccinate them again. Oh. Kind of a thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the only thing that I'm really beyond their first. Does that make you an anti-vaxxer? No, it doesn't because. We're vaccinated, by the way, folks. We get all the flu yeah. shots and everything. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, but go on. Um, no, I don't think it makes me an anti-vaxxer. The problem with animal vaccines is they will give the same amount of vaccine to a Great Dane that they will to a Yorkie. Really? Yes. So if you have smaller dogs, I think it's really worth looking into. You can get tighter um, information where they check the amount of antibodies in the blood to see if your dog does need some additional... Oh, um, you can do a test before to see if they need it. Exactly. Um so that is an option, but what? How do you? What was that? Tighter. Tighter. How do you spell that? T i t r e. I think. All right. I've never heard that term. But anyway, go on. Okay. Um, so the only thing that I have to keep up on is the rabies vaccination, and that's because we do intend to travel with our dogs, and you can't get them back into England if they don't have current rabies vaccinations. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a once every three years vaccination. Okay. Uh, they they will recommend you doing it every year, but it is not necessary. You know, it's just not necessary. So I guess I get by with the, the very least that I can possibly get by. All I right. think it's very important to get your, your puppies vaccinated and give them that lifelong protection. Whether you need the seven in one every year like the vet would like you to pay for. Um, okay. I don't think that that's necessary. All right. So I guess I'm slightly anti-vax that way, but I think there's good reasons. For that. And even, well, aren't even there good, the vets I mean, themselves say that you don't need to vaccinate as frequently as some of the recommendations. Really? Oh, okay. So you're not just, you're going based off veterinarian recommendations that you respect yeah. and trust as well. Yep. Okay. We don't do heartworm. Uh, we it, why do... not? Do you agree that it's poison, as Melanie believes? Or, I mean, have you read bad things about it on Mercola as well? or um, Not particularly heartworm. I think it's... Because we've lived internationally in various places, there were pla there were things like in, in um, Malta that we had to get done. The sand fly vaccination. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Was yeah. really important because that was a local problem. That and, will kill your dog. Yeah. And so we did do that. Um, I, I just think it's, 
you need to take a look at the area that you're in and, and assess the risk of that particular pest in that particular location. Oh, okay. Um, as far as flea collars, we don't do flea collars. We do a... Did you ever? I think... Uh, did Scuttle have flea collars? Yeah. And at was, some point you stopped. Yeah, that was 30 years ago. Yeah. That was when Frontline came out. Okay. And I agree it's probably not great, but on the other hand, to never have those pests... Because Frontline is, instead of putting a flea collar on, you give them a little... It's an injection of some sort, right? No, it's just some drops of goo that you put between their shoulders, remember? But, but it ends up in their system, I It assume. does. It absorbs into the body and is stored in the fat. And makes them poison to bugs. Essentially. Right? Yeah. yeah. So when the bug bites them, the bug dies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we do essentially the same thing now, but we use um, Brevecta, which is an edible instead of uh, a topical. Oh, all right. Yep. But that's, that's four times a year, and... I guess I feel like the benefits outweigh any problems. We, I don't think, as far as I know, none of our dogs have ever had any physical problems from any of that. Yeah. So I, I guess if there was a problem or if I started hearing about a problem, I would certainly make a new decision. Um, what we feed, we try and feed raw or barf, which is bones and raw foods. Okay. B-A-R-F. Mm -hmm. uh, we do, I buy this stuff that has... Um, Aloe, oh, what is it? What's it called? Avocet. It's avocados mm -hmm. is one of the main ingredients in it because I, I like avocados. I think they're very healthy. Anyway, so <laughs> um, so we probably feed 60-40 raw to dry dog food. And the reason that we do that is because Daisy had an operation when she was younger to have her anal glands removed. And too much um, bones in there makes her very uncomfortable. So she needs some some soft commercial dog food essentially mm -hmm. to cushion all of that going through what is the commercial dog food it's the avo set oh that's okay that was the name of the, the stuff that all right it's made with avocados and other things it's, i think it's pretty good yeah so um yeah. But, yeah before daisy before daisy's you for the last 10 years all of our dogs were 100 percent on barf much. yeah um the diets foods, yeah yep and they did great i mean beagles especially because they love to eat Mm -hmm. tend to be real tubbos and we were able to keep dobby and tula yeah they were slim and svelte and actually our, our two girls now are getting a little bit pudgy because because you've you maybe need to adjust 70 30 instead of 60 40 yeah, i can do that yeah. yeah yep so let's see is that all the questions that was it and then there was all the kaipo uh, and all the yuki lovely. all right and it sounds like melanie that jen largely agrees with your uh with your approach. Yep. And I think if you talk to your vet about it too, they will probably come clean and say, yep, there are yeah, the same dosage for whatever size dog you've got. No, you probably don't need it every year. We can look at it maybe every other year, every three years. Talk to your vet. All right. He might even say even five years or maybe once once in a lifetime is all you need for this particular mm -hmm. vaccination. Okay. Nope. Alrighty. Um, then we move on to Dale. Who has a picture of Vicky, the guide dog? Rather strange name for a dog, but the Guide Dog Association names litters after certain letters of the alphabet. Vicky's litter was actually an O, so he had to deduce that her name was sponsored by someone paying to name the guide dog. Maggie, the golden retriever, is in the background, is no longer with us, but that was a guide dog for eight years. I furthermore had a question, but it was a bit heavy, and we'll give you guys a break. All the best. Thanks, Dale. So there's Vicky. Oh, okay. And who's in the background? Who is sadly no longer with us? Uh, Maggie in the background. Oh. Okay. So. Bless them. Wow. I mean, okay. Guide uh, dogs do such good work. Yeah. And, well, I, and I, the people that make guide dogs. I just, kudos to them. 
That's a lot of training. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. We, we watched some show, some series, some yeah. like six-part episode series where we went through all the stages. Yeah, yep. that was a really good show. I think that was on the Disney Channel, uh, if I recall. I'm almost positive it was on the Disney Channel, a six-part documentary series about what it takes to create a guide dog or train a guide dog. It was amazing. And, um, and Vicky, who should have been named Oscar, obviously, or Ophelia, <laughs> so somebody broke the rules, Vicky looks awesome too. Okay, and honey, the last question of the month. As always, are you ready oh. with your words of wisdom? No, I'm she not. She was not even remotely prepared, even though Henrik is always there. I think he's, he's only so ever missed good. once. I had no idea we were coming up to it that quickly. Yep. Um, no, I don't have anything. Okay, okay. I'm going to hit this pause button and give you a second. Thank you. Hold on, everybody. Okay. Except I can't push the button. There oh, we no. go. Okay, we're back. After doing a quick, what is it? It's Instagram search, right? Or well, no, you pin them on Pinterest? Is that what it is? I forget. Well, that you have your everywhere, big... but this is from Facebook. Oh, this was one in Facebook that yeah, you that, that you I... liked or saved? Yep. All right, hold on. Let me switch over to the browser. Jen sent it over to me. And go. People with good intentions make promises, but people with good character keep them. Okay. Folks, have good character. I will certainly try. Me and too. Uh, that's it, folks. The podcast is done once again, and as always, thanks for listening. And as always, please, please, please send your questions in to um, podcasts, or no, 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 questions, questions.rado.com, because without your questions, we got no show. And <laughs> I'm going to say thanks, as always. I already said that. I'm going to stop saying it. I'm just going to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.